Hello again, everybody. Welcome back. What's up, chat? Yeah. Yes. Suri, we got another, like, this is part three of our series. We're, um, you know, at the end of this, we'll be 30% of the way through our list of 100 favorite films. And it doesn't even seem like that many, dude. I look at that list. It shrinks every week. I pull them in. You know, I have my 100. I move them into the top 10s. And I'm like, that's not that many movies. I've I've seen all these movies again and again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really an exercise. Yeah. You got to, you know, pull everything in. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of work. And then you forget how many movies you've actually seen. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And and then to take, you know, thousands and then make 100 out of that. Oh, boy. It's hard, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, yeah, I guess so. I guess we should probably start again with just the disclaimer: Hey, this is this is not like a definitive sent down from God on the on the tablets. Correct. Uh, definitive thing. This is just our subjective opinions. Right, right, right. Uh, and it's and at that, uh, it's even like more kind of it's our subjective opinions as of you know this month of this year and these are the movies that we saw there's other movies that we haven't seen yet that are probably would end up on this list you know things like that um for me in particular the way i do it is is a lot more about like feel and place and time and like where i was when i saw these movies and kind of the impact it had on me um i try not to intellectualize it too much uh and it's more just kind of like that way so it's it's more of just like a fun exercise and uh we're, we're get to point out some really interesting movies to each other and hopefully to other people yeah, exactly. This is just about, you know, discussing stuff, having fun, having fun with lists. I think lists can be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, don't like you don't have to like rage and be like, how dare you not have this movie or how dare you? Oh, what the fuck is eight millimeter? Yeah, eight millimeter. <laughs> that movie sucked. You suck. I hate Jules Schumacher. It's like, OK, dude, like you're taking it, taking yeah. it to an 11. Just draw it down a little bit. All right. <laughs> Dial it down. So, yeah, this is just for fun. So, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I guess I'll get started. So, you know, you started last time. Right. I'll start this time. So we're at think... number 80. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. We're at number 80. So yep. my number 80 is a German film uh, by Rainer Werner Fassbender called yes. Ali, Ali Furious the Soul. Yes. I haven't um, seen that one, but I am familiar yeah. with his work. Yeah, this is um, this is an interesting one. So this basically this is film is about a widowed German woman who falls in, lo- in love with a younger Moroccan guest worker. Mm-hmm. And uh, their relationship is met with a lot of hostility by society at large, and that has effects on both of them, basically. And this film is so it's ba- so pretty much it's a homage to the Douglas Sirk kind of films, so cool. like Im- Imitation of Life and yep. uh, these other. Like he's he was a very kind of famous director for doing these kind of almost sort of melodramatic but very visually stunning. Fassbender, films. yeah, yeah, melodramatic. <laughs> Uh, supremely depressing in that like German way of just like, yeah, we'll take the, like you said, we'll take the Douglas Sirk kind of, it's like the American melodramas that are like, they're, they're sad, but they're ultimately happy. And then Fassbender takes them and he's just like, nah. Yeah. Let's make them really actually (laughs) sad. Let's, let's, let's do, yeah, let's, let's not do the Hollywood like, oh, well, in the end, we all, in the uh, end, ultimately, you know, yeah, it's everyone can, low conquers all, it's like, uh, maybe not, maybe not, um, so yeah, th- I really like this film, like, when I saw it, it really definitely sort of had a strong impact on me, um, I felt like it does, this film thematically does a great job of sort of, I guess, pointing out, like, when you think of it <clears throat> on, like, a, I guess, a meta level, like, the, the type of things that society imposes on people, the ideas, and how they can affect people, you know, mentally and physically, like in this film, basically the 
the Moroccan guy is like, he's actually like <clears throat> physically affected by how um, negatively society views him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like we're seeing pretty much just like a, it's part of their relationship and how it, how it goes and how it even gets into her head. Like, like how it's hard to just really have love even when society just like makes it uh, difficult for you to, to coexist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's sort of like a thing that there's a lot of different ways that I think that can connect. Cause it can be, you know, a racial thing. It can be a, I don't know, um, whatever. There's a lot of different ways you're like, society is not allowing me to be who I want. And yeah, it's yeah. Destroying my life. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah, kind yeah. of what this film's about. I'd say. Is it a, it's contemporary, right? It's set in the time that it was made basically. Set, yeah. So it's, it's cool. like the seventies Germany. Cool. Cool. Um, cool. Yeah, and it's just, I, I thought it was really well done, really well directed, like, the way that he, like, used the camera. Because, like, again, it's a very sort of subtle story, but, and it's just about these two characters and their love and how, you know, basically everyone's like, this is not okay, and this is weird, you know, because, like, she's older, and he's, like, very young, and he's, like, very, you know, muscular and masculine, and it's just, like... You know, like, I don't know. There's like a class thing going on. I'm oh, sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Because yeah. again, he's like a guest worker, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. she, I mean, she's a widowed person who's like, <clears throat> she's also, I think she like uh, cleans houses or windows or something like that was like her job that she was doing. <clears throat> but again, she's, you know, like she like, I don't know, she's a part of German society and she's considered legitimate. And this guy's considered an outsider. Mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah it just it worked for me on a lot of levels i thought it was really well directed and, and well acted yeah that he doesn't he didn't really miss that fassbender guy yeah and and what's funny too is like uh, i was reading apparently he made the film almost like he it, it said it was like sort of as an ex i would say experiment but it was just like i have some free, i have three weeks of free time i'm just gonna shoot a movie oh much. wow yeah i love i love to hear yeah. those stories of these like powerhouse direct or just like art like the guys who just like they know their craft so well and they're just like i'm gonna paint with a different brush this time and i'm just gonna make a movie in three weeks that's awesome and it turns yes. out to be a classic yeah so we just kind of, kind of came up with the scenario he knew i want to do something like douglas sirk and i'm going to you know get get a couple of actors and do something really simple and just shoot it in two and a half weeks or whatever <laughs> Love it's an that. amazing movie it's an amazing movie yeah so yeah it just goes goes to show you like yeah like you said when you're an excellent at your craft and you're a master, you can just spit out these films that are like unbelievable. I know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So that's my number 80. Uh, Ali Fear Eats the Soul. Cool. Okay, cool. I'm just making sure my numbers got a little mixed up. I do have 10 movies. I just don't know why the numbers, whatever. Anyways. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. yeah. I'll take you. I'll take you from uh, I, one of the one of the things as I'm exploring this list and and kind of picking them and moving them around and stuff. I'm realizing that a lot of the movies that made it onto my list are just ones that uh, I've like repeat viewing and uh, repeat viewing like throughout my life, like at different parts. And uh, they kind of I have like more of like a 3D kind of understanding. Of, of like I saw them at this age and maybe it's intended for this age and then this age and this age. So that was interesting. That's just like an off, like a tangent, like a little tidbit I noticed about making my lists is uh, to me, like a big deal was just like rewatch, not necessarily rewatchability, but like if I've seen a thing so many times then it's probably important to me. <laughs> so yeah. uh, number 80 is without a doubt uh, to live and die in LA mm. by uh, of course, Billy Friedkin, one of the greats. 
Uh, this is Billy Friedkin's like he he basically went back to like the French Connection days and he was like, I'm going to just do another one of those. I'm going to do another chasing. It's going to be the biggest chasing ever made, ever put to <laughs> film. I believe I think he those were like words that were said. Uh, and he by God, he he did it. Uh, I don't know why this movie's not talked about as much. I can tell you that it is the most 80s thing ever like possible it, it it just can't be like i can i can close my eyes and i can hear that like song that plays in the beginning like dude like it's so fucking like 80s it's synthesizers i think wang chung did the the score for this movie the score the, the fucking pop group from the 80s did the score so like that should tell you like <coughs> yeah. the the vibes of it and it's very like um so it's in LA, right? It's very like orange tinted. It's very like bright, sunny concrete. And it's about, um, so one of my favorite actors that only did like two or three movies and then he went to TV, William Peterson, known for CSI. Uh, he is phenomenal in this movie. Not not that like his acting is great, but his presence is solid. It's solid. He's got, he's wearing, like, it's just the most 80s thing ever. He's wearing, you know, jeans up to his waist basically <laughs> like his dick is just like it's like it's the the tightest skinniest jeans possible so you can see the outline of his dick things like that um i don't know why i'm mentioning that but basically uh they're secret service agents or whatever and um they're trying to infiltrate this money laundering ring run by uh willem dafoe in his uh, first role first like big hollywood role mm-hmm. and uh, he is cracked i mean from the word go this guy is cracked out insane like willem dafoe in this movie <laughs> Uh, he, you know, all of, he does all the faces, he screaming, he's doing everything in this movie. Uh, (laughs) this movie has full frontal nudity. It's got, uh, just people getting burned alive, heads being cut off because, you know, money laundering turns out to be pretty dirty business. Um, there's a scene, there's a montage in here of Willem Dafoe actually, um, sorry, not laundering, counterfeiting, actually like printing hundred dollar bills. And it showed in detail the process. And I remember reading that there was a lawsuit that came out, like yeah. a really big lawsuit about this movie but that teaches yeah. people how to make counterfeit <laughs> bills. Um, but I just, I love the vibe of it. I love how like just gung-ho it is about like, you know, just again, like William Friedkin kind of at the height of his powers. He's just like, I'm going to make another one. It's going to be the greatest movie of all time. And uh, everything is just very like excessive. Uh, that chase scene, it goes on for like five minutes longer than it should. Um, all the characters are like larger than life. Willem Dafoe is like this crazy, crazy villain. It kind, he's kind of a Bond villain, honestly, mm. in this. Um, so it's just like a weird little crime movie that like on paper seems like a pretty generic plot line. But the way that it's executed is so just drenched in 1980s culture and excess and cocaine and, you know, the sun shining on LA and homeless people and dirtiness. And it's got kind of everything in it. And I just love this movie. I love it for its soundtrack. I love it for the vibes. And it's, you know, as somebody who learned about American culture by way of other movies, this is one of those movies. This is one of those movies that is like, it's like, I feel like this movie uh, was referenced a lot with like Michael Mann movies around the same time because Michael Mann's movies are very saturated, very like colorful, very noir stylish. And this is kind of like Billy Friedkin's version of that, except he can't help himself and he has to show you dicks and he has to show you decapitations and stuff. So (laughs) uh, I love it for all of those reasons. It's, it's amazing. Um, As yeah. So yeah. To live and die in LA is number 80 for sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I love a good chase scene. So 
Yeah, uh, if you, you, can, you can hook me with that, that's for sure. If you haven't seen this movie, at least watch the chase scene because it is fucking insane. It's all done. It predates Terminator 2, obviously, but it goes, it starts on the streets, it goes on the freeway, it ends up in the LA River, and they hang out in the LA River for a while, and then they come out on, like, some other streets, and I think that's where it ends, but, like, it just really takes you throughout all of LA, and it's all, obviously, all done practically, because Friedkin is insane, and, um, I mean, they kind of, it's the 80s, so, of course, they did it practically, but, like, they shot that shit for weeks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that stuff. I mean, like, it, it takes, it takes a lot even oh. just like a small little thing, it takes a lot to pull off. Yeah, any kind yeah. of chase scene. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I love like the enthusiasm that this movie has is just like, and again, like the story and everything. It's not the greatest thing on in the world. It has a really cool twist ending. I think mm. like not twist as in like a Shyamalan twist of like, whoa, I can't believe it. It's just like it's like a moral twist almost. Mm. It's just like I thought we were. I thought we were with this guy and then, ah, uh, so yeah, it's really cool. I recommend it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, all right. So yeah. So my number 79, this is a film that we talked about on our, uh, list of, uh, the decade, um, mm. of the 2010. So this is a uh, boyhood from Richard Linklater. Yes. Yeah. So this is the, you know, again, like I, I, I described it. It's the dramatic equivalent of avatar. It's like, how do you get, <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you like, okay, in a drama, how do we do something that's so massively difficult to achieve that in and of itself, it's like blows your mind? Yeah. Well, let's, let's take an actor. Let's shoot that actor over the, the course of 12 years and like basically once a year, not just yeah. like, well, we'll shoot him once and then we'll shoot him 12 years later. Like every single year we have to shoot a scene with him and other actors. That is crazy that he pulled that off. Yeah. The fact that he pulled it, because like I remember like seeing this thing where you know they're talking about like you can't even sign a contract that says yes I will appear every year in a film that is illegal. It yeah, is and illegal. Not, and not only that. that, for a for a child actor when they started, you know, like I can't imagine what it's like for those parents to go to the agency and is like, you know, I'm assuming he talked with them, but he's just like, yeah, I'm gonna need to. He's gonna need to come back every single year. Like he, this, if he has, if he decides he hates acting at age twelve, I don't give a shit. You know, we're making a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, I would, I would expect at that point the film would fall through or something. I don't know. To get more money, I, I don't know. You're right. There's a lot of things. I think the last time we spoke about this movie is like there's so many things that had to go right for this to just get made. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. Like one little thing, you know, what, like, or at least you'd have to like, you'd have to pivot. You'd have to do a hard pivot in the story. Yeah. Which I guess could be okay, but you know, how can you plan for something like this? Like film is, is a lot of it's all about planning. At least like, okay, I'm going to try and do this story. Yeah. Well, Linklater is the good, is the right choice for this because he doesn't plan his shit. Mostly. I mean, uh, unless he's doing a Hollywood movie or whatever, like school of rock or something like he, most of his movies are, you know, not necessarily improvised, but like kind of spitballed in a way, like the, the, the concept of scenarios. Yeah. It's very like flowy, you yeah, know, it's flowy. like, it's like vignettes. A mm -hmm. series of vignettes, yeah, like Slacker, mm -hmm. and you know, I love the Before trilogy. Before, yeah, yeah, and you know, this film is just unbelievable because I feel like it really, really does the best job, pretty much, of showing the coming of age of a person, mm -hmm. right? Because it's just a series of things. It's like, yeah, I was young and I was playing, and I like, I love Dragon Ball Z, and I liked doing right. stuff with my friends, yeah, yeah and then yeah, my yeah. mom, and then my mom, like got divorced and then my mom married this other dude who was a dick and then we had to leave bag. yeah <laughs> and then we had to leave him and then you know 
all of a sudden he's in college and he's an adult and he's like on a date with this girl and it's like whoa i remember this dude as a child as a literal child yeah and then you see him as an adult and it's like that's life though that is literally life yeah it's, it's cool. just like that it's just like boom and like you know all of a sudden people you know your, your your kids are going off to college and you're like i just had this person i remember when they were born i remember when they couldn't yeah, feed themselves right. i remember when i had to change their diaper i remember when they like pissed on the floor and all this you know? yeah 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 that's interesting yeah that's I mean, movies try to give you that sense, but not. Yeah, it's it's different with this. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, because you know, parents say that all the time. Is like, or when you meet a relative that you haven't seen in twelve years, like, oh, last time I saw you, you were this high, and it's like, shut up, grandpa. Like, I don't know what that means. So yeah, that that this does give give you a little bit of that kind of just just by watching this one movie. Yeah, you watch this one movie, and you kind of feel that. That mm -hmm. thing, that universal thing that we all have, that time is going to, it is, it is the inevitable thing. We are all going to grow up and die, and there's going to be a change along the way of other people that were around. Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this, this does it in an upbeat way. You it know? does, of course. There are other films that like, they're like, you are going to die. <laughs> I like those ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ending of this film is like really something too. It really is like that last vignette where he's like in college and they're like out looking at the stars or some shit. And it's like this. Yeah. I was wow. kind of hoping like, I, I think I was at that point when I saw this movie, like I was just done with college or whatever mm -hmm. when it came out and I was just like, well, what I want to see what's next. I need the movie to show me what's next because I can't be left alone with, with yeah, this I know. Yeah. ponderous bullshit. Like, I, my life's already weird enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And But that's life, right? You're just like, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole new... I feel like what, what this movie kind of gets right too is like, there are phases of your life, right? There's like the phase when you were in college. There's yeah. like the phase when you were in high school. There's when you got your first job and then you like, you know, like you got your first job and it sucks and people are horrible and you're like... What the fuck am I doing with my and life? You're like, is this is this life? Is this the yeah. world? Yeah. Is this is this it? Then get me out of here. You know. Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought this movie up. And I think I said this last time too. Like, I'm glad you like it so much, and we can talk about it because again, I've seen so many takes on this movie that it's all it has going for it is the gimmick and. Past the gimmick, it's not very deep or it's not very interesting or it falters here and there. But, like, I don't know. I think it's a good movie altogether. But I've seen a lot of people talk shit about this one. It's just like it wouldn't have gotten so much praise if it wasn't for the gimmick. And it's like maybe, yeah, I, but. I think there's a level of – I think there's cynicism about stuff like this. And I also think, look, if you're if – you're, okay, if you're someone who's, like, you're under 30, you don't have kids – you don't like have any attachments. You're not married. I don't know if this really connects with you or if it can. Mm -hmm. Like if if you again, like I think we brought this up in some film last week, but like imagine watching this after you've <laughs> like had a kid and your kid just went to college and they're gone. No. Oh, yeah. Like, how is this film going to this film affects you differently? Yeah, you crying for that bucket experience. of ice cream the whole time. Yeah, especially because like at the end, it's him by himself and he's a he's an adult mm -hmm. and he's, you know, changed. He's changed mm -hmm. all throughout this film and like i think that's you know the other side i think this does a good job of that too from the the parents side because like you know they're divorced but like both the mom and the dad 
they have those moments where they're like, you know, I've seen you change so much and I'm so happy to see yeah. where you're at. Yeah. It's, you it's it has like a sweet, the last, I, the last, I went on like 30 minutes, 40 minutes of the movie is like very sweet in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But again, if you, if you don't like, if you're, you know, if you're a single person and you're like trying to hustle and you know, right. you're, you're, you're in that, busy like, this, and, yeah. this is not, <clears throat> it's not going to connect with you yeah, yet, yeah, yeah. but you know, if things change and then, you have those experiences, then, then, you know, maybe you're going to understand like why this film does what it does and does it so well, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, like some, there's some films you got to find at the right time in your life, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like <clears throat> sort of similar with the Irishman. Like, yeah, if you're a 20 something kid, yeah. you're like, it's fucking old guys. I don't care. Yeah. It's going to die. So what? So true. Yeah. So when true. you're, when you're, <clears throat> when you're 70 or whatever, <laughs> and your kids hate you, because of something you did, you're like, fuck, that's me. Yeah, I didn't understand. A- I don't understand. Like, and that's that's when it really hits you when you're like, yeah. whoa, those like those things I did when I was 30 or 40, when I dumped my kids and I didn't care for them because I <laughs> felt that something else was more important. Now it comes back. And now that I think about my legacy, this mm-hmm. thing that's bigger than me that goes on beyond me and I can't mm-hmm. connect with it, then then you get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I I really really appreciate this movie. I think it works. And again, you gotta it, it it really hits that that spot of understanding like what 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 that 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 kind of universal thing about what, what happens when people grow older and that when you change and when you come of age, as it were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really gets it right, and it's it's you know it's just an amazing thing that he was able to pull this off. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, there's so many coming of age movies, and they all they're all some you know some of them are really great. Like we're not talking about like the Stand by Me's and stuff like that. Like there's other ones, the more indie ones or more personal ones. Like um, a couple years ago, there was a, well, Eighth Grade was really good. I really like that one. And you know, Lady Bird had all this Oscar buzz and stuff. And those are great movies on their own. But I think the <laughs> the gargantuan task that this movie just set for itself, uh, I think I think it's like I. I would call this like the brave heart of like coming of age movies, you know, <laughs> like it's the biggest yeah. production by far and uh, it succeeds, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and I, you know, I just unbelievable that he was able to, to do something like this. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when you know people do shit with special effects and stuff like that, or like they'll film a, car, a chase scene or something. This is like the emotional version of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he, he could only do it <clears throat> by basically getting an actor and then getting his friends, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what he did. He got Ethan Hawke, his friend. Yeah. Um, you just got to make sure your friends are, you know, A-list actors. <laughs> it helps no a deal. lot. Yeah. It helps a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the before trilogy started because they were at Venice or whatever, and they just like, hey, let's shoot a movie. Yeah. You mean Julie Depley. Let's just come up with a script. I love it. I love it. <laughs> love that stuff. Unbelievable. Some people they just got it, you know. So they just they just have it. That's true. Okay, yeah. So that's my uh number seventy-nine. Seventy nine. All right. My number seventy-nine is uh a coming of age story about <laughs> nah, not really. Um this is interchangeable with the first one of its series. I had to put one on here because again, the rewatchability of these things and the time when I saw them is it would not complete my personality profile if I didn't include Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, uh, specifically. Uh, there's other movies. There's eight of these fucking movies. Uh, yeah. But I, fe- I feel like... I know a lot of people love Prisoner of Azkaban and they jerk themselves off because, you know, fucking uh, Falls of Coron and, and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
I don't necessarily care for that stuff. I really, I think the Chris Columbus movies, the first two movies, and just Chris Columbus in general, the way that he's able to tap into that like childhood uh, wonder type movies. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I saw a lot of his movies when I was a kid. I saw Home Alone when I was a kid. I saw Mrs. Doubtfire when I was a kid. And there was I was able to put myself in the shoes of those kids and be like, you know, the maid looks funny, but she's nice. And it turns out to be Robin Williams, stuff like that. Uh, Harry Potter, I think the first one obviously succeeded in the most mind blowing way of like creating this world, just the world building of it um, without going into too much of the reading the books and the, you know, supplemental stuff and playing playing video games, whatever the case may be, you get the sense that the world is like fully kind of fleshed out and lived in. And I feel like the second movie, that's the reason it's on my list is that it just builds on that and it's a lot darker. And obviously, I, I like that more. Uh, I generally hate kids' movies, and I don't like kids in movies. Kids in movies usually take me out of them. I just so there's something about it, uh, like something like Boyhood. Obviously, is interesting because the kid grows up, and so you get to see uh, from every angle. You get to see this kid. Uh, but kids in movies generally, to to me, like fucking, I don't like them. Uh, but these three kids, the however you know whoever the casting director was i think they did a good job because obviously they're still they're they're still big to this day but um yeah they i don't know like i don't have to tell you how good harry potter is but specifically chamber of secrets i like it because it's got that it's right before they went a little bit you know they got creative with it they they got alfonso Cuarón, and then they got you know they did the angsty teenage one and then they just started making them basically on an assembly line after that yes um, <laughs> the, the david yates assembly yeah, line <laughs> right and the, the, those are not bad but yeah, yeah. but definitely the first two movies and i like chamber of secrets more because again it's darker you got the fucking you got the girl that killed herself in the bathroom that's like is hanging out you know, <laughs> they introduce yeah. all of these crazy, crazy characters. Uh, the basilisk is a badass monster. Uh, the diary that bleeds when you stab it, shit like that, I, I can get into. And it's all with kids. And it's done in a way that it doesn't feel like it's the Goonies or whatever. It yeah. feels like the stakes feel on, you know, like in, like do you feel like these characters could die at any moment. Uh, and yeah, just something about the, the wonder. The It's almost Spielberg-like, I want to say, these first two movies. Yeah. The they, way that... They wanted him to direct the movie, and he was he was very close to doing it. But he, did, I'm sure. He, I mean, he did AI instead. But uh, it's not a coincidence a, you that know. you know John Williams wrote the score on these movies. Like they, yeah. they, they, it was going for that approach very, very heavily. <laughs> but I think Chris Columbus fucking nailed it. I think he nailed it, man. And uh, I really love these yeah. first two movies. And Chamber Secrets is on my list, uh, seventy nine, because it's probably my favorite Harry Potter movie. I do have, I do like Garbage, and so I like Goblet of Fire a lot as well. Because it's the trashy high school movie, but like it's not particularly nuanced at all. Um, mm-hmm. But Chamber of Secrets, I think, is it's my favorite, and I think it's the best one. But you know, we can yeah. argue about this shit all day. But uh, it's probably my favorite, and that's why it's on here. I feel like I really need to watch all of these again. So, like, I remember. So at the time, this came out. So this came, this one came out in two thousand and two. Yes. Yeah, and so the first one came out in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was an interesting year. So like, I had I was. I don't know what grade I was, probably seventh grade or whatever. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was like really into fantasy and reading and stuff. And like, so he put me onto this and he also like made me go see the Lord of the Rings. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Those were the ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I, again, both of these, I really didn't know anything about um, before I saw like the movies and stuff. And then I read the books 
And like the books for me, again, I feel like every sort of American around my age, like Harry Potter is like literally basically gospel. It yeah, is yeah. it is the uh, thing that we all read and know. And for an illiterate son of a bitch like me, I also read the books off of the back of just these first two movies when I moved here in 2005. I think she was writing one of the last ones, and I yeah. just decided to read all of them. Because I was like, I'm practicing my English, lol. I'm going to read yeah. all these books. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> for me, um, and this is sort of like an unfortunate problem I think that I have. Like, I get very biased by whatever the image that's put into my head is about mm. a thing. And that's so why I kind of like don't like to read the book of a movie sure. because yeah, then yeah, yeah. like, <clears throat> cause there's the JK Rowling idea of them or yeah. whatever, you know, the thing that the story, the way yeah, the story yeah, yeah. unfolds in your head. And <clears throat> you know, when you're biased by that, you kind of like, well, I, you didn't do that. You know, you get in this fucking nerdy, stupid shit. Just mm -hmm, everyone mm -hmm. does like, well, this didn't happen. Blah, 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 and it just like kind of ruins it. Even mm -hmm. ruined it for myself, which I gets me mad. Well, yeah. Um, it's, by the time I saw, what was it? Half blood Prince. I had read the books. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, no, he's yeah. supposed to be bleeding out on the floor with all of his fucking guts out. Like, why are you not showing this to me, Hollywood? And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just kind of ruins it. Um, yeah. So I feel like I need to watch them again without the, the book bias. And I think I'll enjoy them more, which isn't to say that I did not enjoy them. I, I definitely watched all of them and liked all of them. Um, because, I mean, it's just – it's the whole, like you said, the world building of – Harry Potter. Specifically these first yeah. two movies, like, let me, it's so, it is so, like, masterful. Because they have a limited amount of time, and they have to show you, they have to explain to you the mechanics of how this world works without just having people talking at the screen the entire yes. time. They have to show you these things. They have to show you kind of the, not necessarily the art style, that's like a more movie term, but like kind of the look of the world. Um, you know, it's not just witches on brooms and shit like that, because that's mm -hmm. what you would think when you hear wizard. I'm a wizard? I'm a what? You know, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think because I saw them before I had read the books, obviously, um, and just again, they they hold up in a way that like it fills out the world without you having to read the book at all. Like it, it creates yes. a, a clear enough picture in a way that like again, four, five, six, and seven are just kind of movies that happen to take place in this world. But these first two movies really take their time to like ease you into it in a in a in a really cool way yeah absolutely and you know it's a gargantuan task Ugh. um i because, don't envy it because yeah because rowling just like creates and she actually did a pretty good job in the books too of like kind of starting you small and it's like here's more and more and more and more and more and like as you go on book by book they're building more like oh here's here there's more about quidditch here's more about this here's yes. more about the past yeah, yeah and yeah. you're just like you know it starts with okay here's the guy who's the chosen one. Someone tried to kill him. He failed, but the guy is still around and mm -hmm. there's this wizarding world, but that's all you really need to know. Right. Yeah. He's the yeah, chosen yeah. one. He needs to go to school, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then we just start getting more. Right. And yeah, it just, <clears throat> I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a great series and you know, it's, it's just like, the impact that it had on a generation of people is like, yeah, massive. exactly. Exactly. And I would massive. say, even for someone who who because there's people who are just like they don't care about it. It's just you know kids movies or wizard movies. I'm not interested about it. That's fair. But I would say uh, r r divorced from the context of the entire series and the merchandise and everything you've ever heard about these movies, uh, I I still think on their own the first two movies and in particular Chamber of Secrets 
I would advocate for it as like a, just a good movie on its own. Like it doesn't need to be part of a series. It has a beginning, middle and end. And, you know, cause that was kind of the structure in the beginning, which is like Harry starts at home and then he gets like whisked away or whatever. He goes to school. He has these crazy adventures. They learn something about themselves and then he goes back for the summer. So mm -hmm. I think on its own, it, it holds up perfectly beautifully. You don't have to know anything about Harry Potter. You could just watch one of these two movies. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Cool. All right. So Ch Chamber of Secrets. Yes. Nice. So um, sort of in my next film, Front Number 78, is another kind of long time spanning uh, film slash miniseries. So this is uh, Scenes from a Marriage by oh. Ingemar Bergman. Yeah. Yes. And so this is, uh, oh. this is an interesting film. So again, this basically depicts this, uh, this couple and they're going through a divorce, basically. They're slowly going through a divorce because their marriage sucks. <laughs> and we just mm -hmm. see how it de de degenerates. Um, this movie is really special because, like, again, like this. This is a film that uh, a lot of like the Linklaters and people like that yep. said. This is the film that made me want to do, you know, the before trilogies and yeah. the boyhoods and the, this other kind of stuff. I feel like it was talked about recently uh, because of Marriage Story too, if I remember correctly. That yeah, yeah, Marriage yeah. Story feels like a vignette of this <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. film with a different thematic uh, yeah. purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this this film, like Bergman, is such a great like just writer and director in general. Like he's so efficiently able to like get to these kind of universal kind of truths about the human experience. And this just really, you know, because it's it's not just about divorce or whatever. It's about like you know how people deal with like love and loneliness and like fulfillment and like yeah. you know like all these big questions. Right, that we all mm -hmm. face in life, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this this series, just this film, just it it gets right to it. Um, and the performances are amazing in this film. They're all very yeah. feel very real, like a little too real, you know? yeah. <laughs> but they're very yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it's that kind of acting we were talking about. That like what I mean, the Europeans have been doing it forever, but like in a specifically in Hollywood, it didn't really kind of hit until the late '60s, early '70s. And this is like a '70s Swedish movie. Uh, yeah. and you got Liv Ullman in there and uh, whoever else, and they're so fucking good in this movie. Yeah, yeah, they're so good. Because, like, I think for them it was, like, like the material is so kind of truthful to their experience that it was just, right. like, it's being more than acting. And he and he knows these people. Like, he's worked with them before, so it's not like he's yeah, the writer-director, yeah. so he's able to kind of tweak things to kind of get to certain truths in, in these actors' lives, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it, there's basically like a troop of them, right? Like the the sort yeah. of the Swedish mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thing. Uh, apparently, there's like there's a film that's gonna come out uh, called Bergman Island about basically about he would that. go, yeah, he he would go to an island <laughs> to write the, his next film whenever. He, so it's about oh. some. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure what time period it's about but is it like uh, one of those uh, historical kind of fiction type things based on like this myth of this guy goes to an island to write movies and then like it stars bergman but is like a movie version of him and like they took liberties with it is that one of those things probably yeah it's something like that i i i'm looking because like i think mia wasikowska is gonna be in it and some other people oh sick. uh so i'm like i was like just at the cast alone i was like i'm in <laughs> this yeah, sounds interesting yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, i yeah. i suspect it's gonna like the thematic right the thematic thing is like you know these are all these people who kind of like really know each other really well mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know and then it's like almost like we're creating the art that's about our lives yeah and the things we know about ourselves it's right? great it's like the link later <laughs> example it's like it's great when all of these again 
really talented A-list type people all know each other, but and they're all about it in in the same way. They're not all like they're not all chasing fame or doing this or that. And some of them may be, but like it's cool when you have a troop of people like that and you're yeah. able to make like really really honest work together. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I I love like these when these guys the stuff they do together. You're gonna see some other Bergman films on my list. Uh, but yeah, I just, especially like with, with Liv Oldman and B.B. Anderson, who are both in this, like, they're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's like, you get some, and Max von Sydow. I feel like those are like his three, his main characters. <laughs> they yeah. always fought. There's at least one of them mm-hmm. and usually more than one. Yeah. Select um, player one, two or three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which player, or would you like multiple? Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Game? yeah, exactly. So yeah. Scenes from marriage. This is my, um, my number 78, I think is a great, amazing film. Um, yeah. And again, very similar to the, the previous film. Like just this thing that kind of shows you, you know, a long period of people's lives and kind of how they yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, And sort of the thematic thing, you know, that there is about what time does to people as they... Because the end of this 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 film is like really... Like they kind of, they come back together after they've been divorced for 20 years and they sort of have all these questions about their marriage. Like, was it, you know... Like she's just like, have I ever been loved? I don't think I have, and it's just like really sad and and you know Confusing. they kind of yeah he kind of he kind of has this thing like well you know we didn't totally we had a different sort of love for each other it wasn't totally fake but it was you know uh, yeah it's just and and again like that that happens for a lot of people in life you know mm-hmm. like that's their experience of being married or whatever like yeah yeah anyway yeah so that's my number seventy eight scenes from a marriage yeah i love i love these types of movies that are just um not necessarily like the big kind of like the sprawling uh, about someone's life thing but just like situational type movies where it's not necessarily again it's not very plot based or anything we're not trying to figure out like how we're going to print money or whatever uh i i like it when we're just kind of in a couple different locations and we're just in these people's everyday lives i love movies about everyday life because everyday life to me is like every time I watch a movie, like a big Transformers movie or something, th- when I, I get giddy, when I see like the parents house or whatever, because I'm like, I can instantly relate to this. And, oh, he's in his room and there's a fucking robot in his room. And what is he going to do? Like, I like those types of uh, just getting into people's houses. I don't know. It sounds weird. It sounds creepy. I'm going to stop talking. But uh, I, I like the, the the intimate kind of, you know, about people's lives thing. A, a lot and thanks for reminding me because mm-hmm. I want to watch this movie again like this and it reminds me of like a, a lot of Nick Cassavetes movies are, are like that um, are like this yeah. I should say yeah so yeah good shit good shit uh, cool so that was number 78 that was number 78 yep okay yeah my numbers are going to catch up at some point uh, my number <laughs> 78 is the movie that before I had committed to like I want to make movies, you know, like I'm a movie fan, but uh, before I really got into kind of like the process or like more the artistic side of it of what goes into these things, uh, I think I said this a couple weeks ago. I was just like, to me, the special effects of any movie, like a tenant is nice, and you can look at it and you can say, wow, that 747 exploded. But it's I I always notice audiences or when I'm watching movies with friends they are more wrapped up in like when there's a close up on someone's face and it's like a really pivotal moment. Like that almost feels like it's got more pull to it than like the big set pieces sometimes. And so to me, like the actors are the special effects and the the movie that like is the ultimate, like the actors are the special effects in recent times, at least for me was Birdman. 
uh, and it, that's on my uh, sorry, Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I love this movie. I mean, it's obviously had a lot of uh, praise, and it's won Oscars and whatever. And Michael Keaton's back, yada 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 yada. It's a little meta in that way, but uh, it's about a, <laughs> it's, about, it's about a troupe of actors, and it takes itself to the extreme. Uh, it's almost like a comedy. It's almost like a caricature of like what these insane fucking crazed artists are like and everybody in this movie is so good they're so good everybody gets a scene everybody you know from the from the leading men to fucking zach galifianakis to andre riseborough who i love who we know i love um everybody's got like really good kind of star making scenes um but it's all like a-listers obviously right um so there's plenty of movies like this that were made before but uh i i like that they were able to take all of these big famous people and just make a movie about actors uh, and sell it to the world. And it won a lot of Oscars and a lot of people saw it and a lot of people liked it. Um, I believe. Yeah. And I mean, of course you can talk about the gimmick again. It's one of those like uh, shot by Chivo, I think is, is what they call him. Uh, that's like his nickname, the Emmanuel Lubezki, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're going to do the one take movie and it's going to be all this and that. But like for me, what it it's the performances and it's like the 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 kind of all of the insanity and like how manic each one of these characters is and how they play off of each other. The All the scenes between Edward Norton and Michael Keaton and the, <laughs> when they're fighting and shit, it's so funny uh, and it's so well done. And I've seen this movie over and over and over again. And it kind of it, it has a lot of like a lot of the pop stuff that we're still into, I think to this day, it's got like almost, it's got a trick ending. Uh, it's got, again, you know, the down on his luck guy who used to be in superhero movies. And now it's like, he's doing theater and like, who gives a fuck about theater. Right. But the whole movie is about theater. Uh, so it's very meta. It's very cool. It's very smart, I think. Um, but it's very poppy. You know, it's not, it, it's not too deep. Uh, it doesn't put too many people off, but uh, I think if nothing else, just the performances in this movie, just to see people just acting for the sake of acting. I love it. It's so funny. There's the scenes where, what was it? Naomi Watts feels so like yeah. pushed away from her husband, right? Who's supposed to be Edward Norton, I think. And then it it's gets taken to the cliche that like she ends up kissing like one of her a co-stars, like a woman, right? Is like is an experimental thing. It's so fun. It's just funny in that way. If you know anything about like actors and theater acting, it's it's funny in that way. And uh, yeah, I love Birdman. It had to make my list because I've seen it so many times over since it came out. I've seen it over and over and over again, and I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. But the writing is funny, and uh, the performances are amazing. So I love Birdman. Yeah, it's a great film. Um, I just love to see the two of them, like the the DP uh, and uh, yeah. Cor- yeah, like when they work together, dude, they they do some incredible stuff. Um, yeah. They also work together on what the Revenant, I believe. The Revenant, yeah, yeah. They just they really like absolutely kill it when they work together. Yeah, and this film is beautifully shot, and yeah, it's very funny. Like the whole Birdman thing, it's ridiculous, it's hilarious. It's 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 a com. It's like a commentary <laughs> on like all of this stuff, and that's what I like. I like it's it's almost a satire, and I like that yeah. a lot about it because it could have taken itself seriously, and it could have been really, really, really pretentious. And I think they knew that, and that's why they took it. <laughs> yeah. They took it in the direction of let's just make fun of this. Yeah. Like the Edward Norton character in this movie, he's just like, oh, he's he's like this wounded actor, you know, who like needs to gain. Uh, he used to get all these great reviews 
or whatever. It's like the most textbook like scenarios for all of these types of people. Yeah. Uh, and but they're played off very seriously, and it's mm -hmm. almost like a satire. It's funny. It's all. I feel like a lot of it is like they're kind of playing themselves. But sure. like, if you yeah. made a, like a fan fiction of themselves, you know, you yeah. change the name, you change the name of the the character that they're playing. You know, instead of Batman, it's Birdman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's and cool. It's, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and it's and it's just like, but the end of the Edward or the Edward Norton character, it's 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 so perfect too because that's really kind of him, real life, and uh, exactly, yeah, you know, and it's but it's so that meta stuff and that kind of and they're they're making fun of themselves. That's what I like. Yeah, they're making fun of themselves instead of like kind of you know instead of trying to be pretentious, like you said. So mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, well, like you know, like no, like, like I know we've all done like multi-million dollar movies, billion dollar movies, but like we're really actors at our core. Yeah, yeah like, it, it feels like this is that movie, but it's just it's yeah. taking the piss out of itself. Yeah, it could be that movie. Good. But instead, it's like making fun of that idea while also kind of being true to the artistic need to express yourself you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it takes care of all the all of the things and again like uh, the craft wise like it's it's spotless like the the cinematography yeah. and the way that it's uh the way that everything is choreographed with the sound mixing and everything like i remember there's a like the score you know like as the camera moves like when he's on the city you know like there's a guy playing a street drum and the, it kind of fades into the score we see the street drum then it fades out of the score as we move along stuff like that it's like really like you can see you can tell that these are like really really high level professionals doing this yeah. uh and uh but they're doing it i don't know for for funsies almost <laughs> it's cool yeah, it's just, you know, I I'm not sure what the origin of this was, but it, it feels like, you know, again, you just get these people that are this talented together. Yeah, right. You're going to get a good film. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, it's one of the more recent uh, movies that are on this list, but I remember just, ever since I saw it, I was just like, I get it. Like, you, you, you just, you put, like, Emma Stone's face on the screen, and that's all you need. That's all you need. Yeah, I don't that's, need to see that's the end of that explosions. film. Yeah, right? right. Like we yeah. don't we don't know what happened. They're theories, exactly. but we just see her. Yeah. And because the movie doesn't have any like crazy special effects or anything uh, like the Revenant. They I feel like they they took it a step further and they were like kind of like the the Billy Friedkin with to live and die. And they're like, I'm going to show you my muscles now and I'm going to film in the wilderness with natural lighting and I'm going to get Leonardo DiCaprio to do crazy things. And it's like, yeah, you can do that. And that's cool. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's cool to just have like a smaller scale thing and like a more fun, honest thing. Yeah, I'm going to have Leo jump off a cliff on a horse yeah. and then fight a bear. Like, I get it, bro. Like, you can do it. Like, I get it. You have the, the skills and the power to do that. But, like, yeah. Sometimes I, well, I, I, I like the ones. The, Rev the Revenant, like, that's that that's that whole film was made to win an Oscar for Leo. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. that was the whole reason that film existed. For sure. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of the cool thing is uh, Lubeski and... Uh, and what's in Quran? They get to do all the <laughs> uh, in your Ritu. In your Ritu. In your Ritu, yeah. They get to do all this crazy shit, you know, um, mm -hmm. in the meanwhile. But yeah, anyway. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, cool for stuff. sure. But that's that's what was that? Seventy eight? Yeah, those were seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So um yeah, so my number seventy seven is a very, very, very unique film. The first Charlie Kaufman film on my list. Uh, this is being John Malkovich. Ah, you son of a bitch! I was gonna put that on. Uh, I was. It, this was gonna be this week, and I decided uh, decided uh, to move it around. So I'm glad oh, we get to up. talk about it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy, dude. I just this cut movie, it last minute. This movie is so weird. <laughs> this movie is so weird. He is such a weird guy. 
And what I really like about, like, you know, sitting now, now that we've seen, because we reviewed a film this year by him. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's a, he, like, I feel like the more we see his films, like, the more we see into his mind, he's a very strange person. It's oh, yeah. The best way of putting it. Oh, but yeah. a very unique perspective on the world. And it's just like all the, it's so, like, what's interesting? Like, so what's this film about, right? So this is dude who's a puppeteer. <laughs> he's hella broke. He's about a guy who's a fucking puppeteer. When you puppeteer. say it out loud like that, yeah. <laughs> but that's what it's, he's a puppeteer, right? I know, I know. And then he finds this portal that goes into the head of John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And because he's a puppeteer, he's able to control John Malkovich. But what the film is really about, the film is really about a guy who falls in love with someone who's not his wife mm-hmm. and he wants to be with her. But <clears throat> in the end, he can't be with her. His wife ends up with the person he's in love with and he sees their love and he can never be a part of it. It's a tragic love story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a tragic love story wrapped up in some weird ass shit. Hella weird shit. The the device of this of of the guy, the puppeteer who works in this like in between half level, uh, like half uh, what was it, half floor of a company, right? Everybody has to crouch down and shit. Like the 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 concept of it, the device that all of this is wrapped around is so weird and interesting. It's it's so weird. I remember I watched this film and I I I, I remember getting to the point where they talk about the whole weird ass plot line with these people who are burrowing themselves into the brain of a person <laughs> so they yeah. can live forever. And mm-hmm. I literally paused the film. I'm like, what the fuck? What? What? It's just so mind bogglingly absurd. I it's think what's, so absurd. <laughs> I think what sells it though, and this is kind of a similar example to Birdman in a way, what sells all the craziness is that it's, it's polished in such a way and it's got like really really famous people in it like at the time in the 90s like you know John Cusack uh, fucking Cameron Diaz Catherine Keener all these people like John Malkovich they were huge so they I, they sell that idea or at least they keep you invested because you're like why would these why would fucking John Cusack do this shit like right now I think he he just come off a of con air or something like like this is craziness you know I, I think that helps the cast it is absolute craziness absolute yeah. craziness but that's just how his mind works that's how he so he's like if you give him a simple idea if you give charlie kaufman a simple idea he's gonna find a weird crazy convoluted way but it's just selling yeah how can i show a tragedy about someone who falls in love usually yeah well just just what's because right it's like uh, i'm guessing he would think like what's the worst way that i could see someone see two people see like see someone that i love who was someone that i used to love and like not being able to like sharing that love you know and it's like yeah if i was stuck in someone's mind and i had no control that would be horrible and that's yeah. what happens at the end of this movie but it's i a think crazy way. yeah and i think we can't not mention that like again i think we talked about this because we talked about charlie kaufman a lot but like when left if he was left to his own devices this movie would have just gone on for three and a half hours and it would have been even weirder i think and more convoluted but uh Maybe, i think uh, the, the the genius of it is the the marriage of charlie kaufman and spike jones because spike jones is a crazy motherfucker too and he's got his start in you know making all these disgusting skateboarding videos for big mm-hmm. brother magazine and stuff and and kind of g- launching the jackass crew essentially and uh, he was shooting music videos for like all these you know fat boy slim and stuff like that in the 90s mm-hmm. and so he has a perspective of like a very postmodern like nothing matters everything is kind of crazy bullshit like let's just get weird with it thing so i think when you he was able to rein in some of the like 
high, 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 high level concepts and just like somehow sell this movie. Because uh, ultimately, it came out like through Universal or something. So yeah, there was a lot. I was reading some stuff about it. There, one of my favorite things was like the head of New Line, who's a New very Line. kind of uh, actually pretty important guy in Hollywood history. He's the reason why we got the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. version that it did, plus some other stuff, a lot of horror movies, things like that. Uh, but he he re- he I, he probably didn't read the script. He had someone tell him what the the concept was and. Mm-hmm you know what basically who, who would be the team behind it and he, he the thing he said was why can't it why can't the film be being tom cruise <laughs> <laughs> that was his he's like okay i'll do this movie but we need an a-list yeah person yeah, yeah, the- yeah. that's <laughs> I funny that i, was, never I heard thought that, that was hilarious that was the head of new line said that shit that's so, so i think funny. i think the, the i i don't think that the biggest problem with this was like the, the charlie kaufman stuff being too big i think the problem is people don't well, no, I'm t- I, I don't think that this started as like a 300-page weirdo oh, opus. Sure, sure, yeah. I think that this was always sort of what it, what it is in the form now. I think they had they had discussions about who should be the lead. That Right, right, right. You know, so – and even John Malkovich was kind of like, look, if this movie bombs, I'm this, fucked. This, this could look like the worst, most over-the-top vanity project of all time, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know if, if, if it would just be weird and, and then it's like the being John Malkovich movie sucks – and John Malkovich, John Malkovich, right? So it's just Malkovich, like Malkovich, so, Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, well, and I'm, it's just—it's so weird. It's—it's it's just so weird that like you're like, how does who is who's the audience for this? Who does this connect with? Are people gonna look past all the weirdness and understand what's going on? I feel like that's always sort of the problem in a in a sort of big way with the stuff that he's doing because he's so beyond. I think what most just people regular structure, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's so beyond that. He's so into these other things that are just, just. He's not interested in like, I don't know, the kind of like the, I don't know, just, just like the, the stuff that we consume on a daily basis. Yeah, of yeah. The yeah. stories if you think of like the, the easy the plot simple. diagrams and shit. Yeah. Yeah, that you would think how 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 are people going to connect with this story? Um, but but I just but that's what I love about Charlie Kaufman is that he's throwing all of this these really out there ideas but it's serving a purpose to connect us with a story idea in yeah. a way that we haven't seen before no i right? think i think you're right i think the idea that it's not a i didn't mean to say that it was like it started out as a 300 page thing it could have ended up that way maybe but i think you're right i think it did start out with like you know i want to tell this tragic love story and i want to frame it in a way of like like what's the most heartbreaking way to realize that you're never going to attain something or whatever is to see it through someone else's eyes like maybe that's where it started and then maybe once he hooked up with some of these music video weirdos and Spike Jones comes in, he's just like John Malkovich and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, and then it goes from there. So I wonder, I wonder what like the inception of that was, but definitely like the marriage of that. Cause you yeah. know, Charlie Kaufman's made movies on his own and they're pretty fucking weird. <laughs> they, they, they get more complicated and more convoluted. I feel like, uh, but I think this is just like the right amount. It's like you said, it's like having to strike that balance of like, making this palatable to like normal audiences, not to art house people exclusively <laughs> and not to, you know, like action movie people exclusively, but just kind of make it work. And again, I, th- I think that getting a Cameron Diaz in there and getting a John Cusack and, and whatever is, is very helpful for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was reading some stuff about, so like the, the script in its original form, whatever it was, went around Hollywood a lot at the time. He wrote this on spec, mm-hmm. but you know, people were like, yeah, it's interesting, but what the fuck? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, like that, and that, that, you know, that that totally makes sense as a reaction to me because I'd be like, I would love to make sure. this movie. I yeah. would love to have someone else give me money to mm-hmm. make this movie. If mm-hmm. I'm the guy who's 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 gonna press a button and give ten million dollars into this movie, yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, if I if I you know, I don't know, if I if I'm Jeff Bezos and I have a bunch of money, okay. But mm-hmm. if I'm like staking my claim as a person who produces films and I'm trying to like actually have a business that works and not have a write-off. I'm a yeah. little skeptical. Yeah. 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 I'm a little skeptical. And so that was kind of the thing. So this thing went around and then, so he sent, so Charlie sent this to Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, who was like, that's interesting. Let me give it to my daughter's boyfriend and have him read it. And then that's how Spike first read this script. And I then I know this. Yes. Yes. Wow. So it has to do with, you know, him dating uh fucking francis dude he's yeah the, i know he's he he's is the, the godfather he is the godfather you come to me and i will solve your fucking problem <laughs> i'll give you the world the good movies they deserve <laughs> yeah yeah and so you know then this film and also so apparently john cusack told his around this time so this was actually a really good question he brought up like why why did he do this well he told his he told his like uh i don't know his manager or whoever find the weirdest Find the weirdest thing, the weirdest script out there, and show it to me. And he found this. That's great. That's and he showed it to him, story. and he auditioned for it, and he got it. Um, yeah. That's so this great. is a weird confluence of stuff. The fact yeah. that this film even got made at all. Yeah. And this again, is definitely this, one of those planets aligned situations. Yeah, and you know, we're we're going to talk about more Charlie Kaufman films in this on my side. Uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. maybe on your side too. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many of these things about you know, these things that we see him talking about. Uh, one of them that comes up like, you know, when John Malkovich goes into himself and everyone's John Malkovich mm-hmm. later on. So there's a film, Anna Melissa, where this, yep. the character suffers from this thing. It It's called the uh, Fergoli delusion, which is you think everyone's the same person or they're disguised as that. They're that person disguised as someone else. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of, I, I don't know if that's something he's afraid of in real life. It seems like it because that stuff kind of comes up a lot. <laughs> Yeah, he he seems pretty manic from everything I've read. Like he's not like he's got a maybe that's not the right word, but like he's got a lot of these. He's inside his own head a lot, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. It's just I don't know. I I I find watching his films, they're so unique, they're so different, they're so. But they're but he's he is a consummate artist. He's a professional. He has a strong mm-hmm. strong um, handle on the craft of how to write. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. amazing to see a guy who thinks so differently, <laughs> but is it... a master of of craft. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that hundred percent. There's no reason why, because I can come up with, I can say weird shit too. You know, like I can say that you know my uh, nightstand, uh, you know, is a portal to whatever, and it's like I'll do all this crazy stuff. But like, it has a it has a purpose and an end goal, and. Uh, a, something that connects to it and that's really cool yeah absolutely um i i just like i just was blown away when i saw it i was just like what same i think i saw it on a whim i think i was going through like a uh, john cusack phase yeah i was definitely going through a john cusack phase um and this was just on the filmography and i was like ah you know i like john malkovich i like cusack like i wonder what this is about and that was the first uh, you know charlie kaufman slash uh spike jones movie that i saw and then like again i was just like like i yes this is for me give me more weird shit please (laughs) 
yeah, just give us more of whatever is coming out of this guy's head. Yeah, uh, both of them, honest, because I love both of them. I love Spike yeah. Jones movies too. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, it's really it's really good seeing him with someone who can like uh, bring a visual kind of uh, sort of way to all this craziness. It's helpful. Uh, it's very helpful because you have to have someone who is able to decipher the fucking ancient texts that this guy is writing on the walls <laughs> to kind of make it pal like poppy and palatable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's good. It, it is it is it is crazy. It is it is crazy. Um yeah. yeah. I don't know I don't know if there's anything else I can really say about this film. I think I it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's definitely worth a while. I mean, everybody should watch this movie even if you don't like think you'll like it just give it a try because i didn't know what the hell i was doing and by the again like the first 20 minutes of this movie i was just like what the fuck but it it makes sense it all clicks yeah it all comes together in the end and yeah. that's the thing too like i feel like a lot of his movie he he's again he's doing all this stuff but it's to create an emotional connection for us at some point in the end or in mm -hmm. multiple places mm -hmm. and yeah you, you know he he likes the tragedies he's that type of guy he's like yeah let's sure. get sad let's get really sad here yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he loves that sadness he loves to I put love you it. there yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, we're gonna I, I i have i have one of his movies on my list it's gonna yeah, be i i appreciate that because like you know there's i get i don't know why but i just want to keep bringing up tenet right like tenet there's all this shit going on there's all these explosions he's it's driving the only around. movie that came out in 2020 ibrahim yeah, basically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drive, I'm gonna drive a 747 into this thing, and it's like, okay, all this stuff happened, but why? Why uh, should I care? Why should I care? Because, this, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. But like this, it's like there's all this weirdness, but he's doing all this weirdness because this person wants to have a relationship with someone. Yeah, it's very cool. You can you can kind of you can keep scratching, and you can get there's an answer waiting behind every door, which is cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's my uh, <laughs> number seventy-seven being John Malkovich. Cool. I'm glad you brought it up because again, I was thinking about putting this because again, I, I do the thing where like I have a couple filmmakers that I really, really like, and everything else is kind of ancillary to me, and I've seen every single one of their movies and this and that, and I'm like, I can't put all of them because there's a lot of movies, and so John Malkovich was like about to be on this list today, and then it got axed in in favor of something else. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Um, yeah. Number 77? Um, I think it should be your 76. My 76? Uh, well, no, no, no. It should be, because I went first, right? So, yeah, it should be your 77. Yeah. My 77 is uh, a, a very, very, very simple little movie. You may have heard, you may have heard of it. It made, it made some money, I think. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, the yeah. original. Uh, it's... <laughs> so iconic it's so iconic but beyond that beyond the the music and the michael myers and the mask and the knife and the boiler suit and everything um it's such a cool little movie because they knew they didn't have a lot of money so what they chose to do is just make it look really really good they shot they went anamorphic they had the best fucking film stock they could afford and the best lenses and they made it look cinematic af for what is essentially just a generic slasher movie yeah. plot i mean it's very very generic for most of the runtime of this movie nothing really happens you're just kind of hanging out with uh with these young people and uh you know whatever but uh that's what i like about it so much that's what i like about halloween and of course there's a billion other john carpenter movies that i love and everybody else loves but i i 
tend to be at like for like Birdman, you know, you brought up the Revenant is like a bigger, you could say better version of 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 that. But I like the I like the scaled back stuff. I like the simple stuff because it makes me feel like maybe on one hand it makes me feel like it's attainable, but also again, I just like hanging out in people's houses more than I like being on these like grand operatic type uh adventures or whatever. Um, cause Halloween is essentially, you know, it takes place in a, like a couple blocks of this like suburb and, uh, we just go from the school to the streets, to the house, whatever Donald Pleasant's out there. There's an asylum. There's like a whole side story there. Um, but it's, it's a simple, it's a simple thing. There's a killer. There's a little bit of a backstory. He killed his sister or whatever on Halloween and he escapes from a mental institution and holy shit, there's a killer on the loose, whatever. And, uh, but again, they didn't have a lot of money. They kept it very simple. They and they made us like because the thing about slasher movies is, and this is very early on, right in the in the late seventies. I mean, there were horror movies being made, but they were different. They were about like witchcraft and like yeah. they were exploitation movies, like girls in cages and shit like that. Uh, this was more like it made it feel like it could happen, you know, on any in anyone's suburb in anyone's thing, uh, even though it's cheesy as hell. Um, but I just love that they took that care because uh, there's a 4K version of this uh, movie that just got restored recently. And it looks so good. It looks so cinematic. Everything about it. The, 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 the story itself is, is kind of cinematic, but like just the look of it is so cool. Um, it's basically like the alien of slasher movies is what I would. What I, I mean, alien, you could say, is a slasher movie, too. Um, just set in space. So, yeah, I... There's many reasons to love Halloween, but I love the simplicity of it, of just let's just take, you know, high school girl, uh, babysitter, babysitters, whatever, and there's a killer on the loose, and there's a cop who's trying to stop them, you know, and that's pretty much it. Uh, before we get too grandiose, and again, there's, because John Carpenter did this, and he did the thing, and then he made movies about, you know, the occult, and ghosts, and all of this crazy shit. But I like the simplicity of just let's take a simple concept. Let's make it look really, really fucking good, really clean and kind of sell people on this idea and uh, just keep them on the edge of their seat. Because it's something about, the, you know, the, the, the setting of this, the, the suburb and the houses and the trick-or-treaters and the kids. It makes you feel like, yeah, you know, like this is just like any other movie. But, oh, people are getting innocent. People are getting murdered and stuff. And so I'm, I'm kind of more invested in seeing this killer stopped. I don't know. There's a lot to say about Halloween, but uh, I, I just love the simplicity of it, and I love how good it looks. <laughs> John Carpenter is like the master of the <clears throat> the low budget film. Yeah, uh, I feel like the less the less kind of the less money you give him, the better he can make a film. Just the from the most the simple more creative point. he gets, at least. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, and I, I remember, I think the biggest film he really did was uh, was a Big Trouble in Little China. He said it was there was some film he did and then he said the suits were just a disaster. They fucked them over. Mm. They they just they meddled. Um, but yeah, when he's when he just is left to his devices, he is so creative. He's so creative. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Halloween is is just yeah, of a, a, a genre that is full of all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. And all most kinds of, of that stuff comes after this movie. Yes. And it's it's it looks cheaper and it feels cheaper, you know. Uh, I think that it it yeah. I I can't say enough about like how polished they made such like a very generic run of the mill story look, um, because it sells it. Because like I said, there's so many other low rent grindhouse, you know, exploitation type movies that were coming out that are whatever. But this movie it had an air of like this is a real movie. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah, it looks good. And like, you know, what I like too is, you know, the, the, like Michael Myers, you know, what is Michael Myers? Who knows? Yeah. yeah, He's a force of nature. It's kind of, it's really kind of scary because he's he's a guy. Supposedly he's a guy, but like they can't kill this guy. He just keeps coming. Yeah. He doesn't say shit. He doesn't say anything. It's not not explained. Yeah. No. And that's great. That's like one of the best parts about this movie is like, it's a human. We think, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. He just keeps coming. He keeps killing. They keep trying to kill him, and he's whatever it is. He keeps coming back. Um, <laughs> there's some good scares in this movie too. I really, yeah. I and really again, like uh, like the Harry Potter uh, example I had, like divorced from the rest of the series. Pretend the sequels don't exist. I'm not saying watch Halloween and then watch Halloween two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, uh, <laughs> because that then it gets weird and stupid, and then we get into the cheap. 80s schlock like the the, the really cheap yeah. looking stuff um this like H2O this, and this other yeah um, yeah craziness. and i've seen them all and whatever it's great but like this movie has a great ending because like you said like michael myers is what the fuck you know do you think they they killed him everyone you know movies resolved donald pleasance just goes to do a double take the killer's gone that's like a really like for 1978 that's such a cool way to just bookend it this like weird little movie that came out of nowhere um I love it. Yeah, I love it. Because like the it's it's not about making a sequel. It's like, yeah, the dude's in your neighborhood now. Exactly. And yeah. when Halloween rolls around, he's gonna slit your throat. Yeah. And of course, people are gonna wear the Michael Myers stuff. Yeah. For Halloween yeah. immediately, right? After that yeah. happens, you're like, Yeah, I gotta be Michael Myers for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. There's a great moment in I don't know if it was Halloween two or four or one of those. I have to give them credit because they even back then they 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 got meta with it because they had somebody wearing a Michael Myers costume on halloween in the movie and the cops kill that fucking kid because they think it's the real michael myers <laughs> and it's it's a great like little kind of what yeah. have we done moment within the, the series of itself is cool yeah that's great yeah so i i heard that they made this movie because uh so john carpenter look just looking through like movie titles and he found at this point there was no other film called halloween halloween yeah been yeah. made I read that. Like, we gotta make Halloween. We gotta make. It. <laughs> that's like that's like printing money. Yeah, because that's the but well, that's the like the elbow grease aspect of this movie, right? Not a lot of movie, not a lot of money, but like you find these things that help it along. You're like, the name is Halloween. It's free. We can have yeah. that, and yeah. that's gonna that's gonna sell copy. We're gonna get Jamie Lee Curtis, who's basically royalty. She's gonna be yeah, in the movie, right? Right. Before she yeah. probably been in anything big. So. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, yeah, that's, you know, that's like a surefire to success for a horror movie. Get someone who's kind of big, mm-hmm. someone who's big, but they're young before they blow up. Get yeah. the good title, you know, Psycho, yeah. Halloween. Again, pay, you pay for the cameras. You pay for the film stock because you know that we're going to make it, you know, a movie with the fucking Scream royalty, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so that was your number 77. Yeah. Good shit. Halloween. Halloween. Uh, okay. So... My number 76, this is a movie from the 50s, uh, directed by Mr. Kazan, L.A. Kazan. Ah. Uh, it's a movie, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this movie, actually. It's not It's not one you would think, but it's a, It's called A Face in the Crowd. Oh, I've um, heard of one. Yeah. The Face in the Crowd is one of my, uh, it, it's a really amazing film. Um, so this film is basically about this guy who's, uh, he's just a random uh, like talk show host in some ho-dunk part of nowhere in Arkansas or something. And then some woman basically says, Hey, like we should kind of promote this guy and give him a bigger platform. And he evolves into this raging demagogue populist 
who <laughs> ends up becoming extremely powerful. Oh no. Having a huge, yeah. <laughs> like having a huge amount of power. And then you see this guy's transformation from ho-dunk hillbilly nobody to megalomaniac, super powerful, super and and he like becomes bad like it, it brings out all the worst parts of him gaining all the stardom and fame and power and i thought like this kind of why well, i watched this at a time where uh i don't know I, it, it, this this like the 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 populist demagogue thing was kind of making a resurgence and i thought oh well this is you know this is something universal but it's i don't know it's gonna go away or whatever mm. I feel like it's gotten worse mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the human thing yeah. and it's it, it's a universal thing basically yeah the 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 raging person who's says things that people want to hear even though they're not true yeah this is this is a universal human problem and this film tackles that in the american context mm-hmm. while also the other thing too is like i think it does a good job of like sort of the antecedents to that is the the fa- the, the american fame thing we have this fetishization of people that are famous and stars yes. and like yeah, yeah, people yeah. that it's it it tackles both of those things at the same time because it, it once he becomes big he becomes different and it brings out what was always a part of him which yeah. is this, this megalomania and he's like oh I deserve this and this entitlement I feel like that's just a perfect example of like the you know if 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 there was like a Arabian Nights of American Stories this would be a part of it but this that, is like how fame destroys you yeah. Yeah, it's a, it like it's a classic tale, right? It's a tale as old as time, but like specifically very American. Um, yeah, because like around this time, radio was a big, big thing, and especially in the '30s, I was just reading about this. In the '30s, it was it was the wild, wild west, man. There were people out there <laughs> saying all kinds of crazy shit and getting huge platforms, and people, you know, because it was the depression and people were desperate, and then people yeah. would say, "Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah." It's you know, they got to we got to do this, we got to do that. And leading people, the basically the Pied Pipers, just leading people mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. disastrous, ruinous ideas, and you know, creating conflicts. Um, this film really sort of tackles that, but also, you know, again, like basically the guy gets big, and then people start pro- the people that prop him up are like, like there's this big thing that happens at the beginning where he he does some ads for different, you know companies like mattresses or some shit like that and he like he like talks in a certain way where the 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 advertisers think that he's putting their product down but like it actually increases sales because he's able to like kind of connect with certain people that's why they like him right so there's all Mm -hmm. these rich people like this guy is useful because he he he, he'll talk directly to to the consumer and he'll get them to buy our stuff so i don't care if he's gonna cause you know destruction as long as he's making us you know rich that's, we're cool with it. And to this day, that's still how it works, which is amazing and frightening. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, his downfall is once he starts making people money, then they're like, okay, they, now we're trying. I have no use for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I really love this film because it just hits all that stuff demagoguery, the populism, mm-hmm. the, 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 the corruption of celebrity and fame, mm-hmm. how it degrades people, how it just reveals them. Mm-hmm. Um, it hits all of that just like spot on and of course it's an L.A. Kazan film so the acting yeah, right. is incredible yeah unfuckwithable yeah unfuckwithable <laughs> absolutely he doesn't matter who it is he will get a good performance out of it exactly yeah oh man one of the greats for sure yeah so that's that's um my number 76 I don't know if you have any comments or anything else well I haven't seen that film yet uh obviously big fan of uh, Kazan specifically for the acting styles that he, cause again, I, I'm into that. I like seeing 
like all the European stuff, like we were talking about the the Bergmans and the Fellinis and whatever, like they, the all the new wave, like the Italian new wave and the French new wave, they've always been able to get naturalistic performances, more or less. Uh, but to see like every once in a while, like a U.S., like a big Hollywood, like classic Hollywood director uh, to extract some of these like theater like performances as opposed to just like, yes, I have one and no, my name is this and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, that kind of style of acting, it's cool. Uh, so it's just another one on my list, basically. Yeah, and so the the person who plays the lead here is uh, actually Andy Griffin. Um, right. And yeah, he's really good. He plays this guy, Lonesome Roads, this, you know, just basically just a ho-dunk dude. Um, and there's there's some other, I think, uh, is it Walter Matthau, I think is his name. He's in this. Oh, is he? Yeah, he is. Well, I just he's shot so straight to the top of my list. I love Walter Matthau. Yeah, he sort of plays the, he sees him, he sees the path and he's like, dude, you got to cut this guy, you know, mm. and then no one listens for a while. But, you know, after he just stabs people, enough people in the back and goes so megalomaniacal that they, they just have to they have to stop him. Um, yeah, it's it's great. It's a great film. And it's funny that these movies get made and as, as far back as the 50s, these movies get made and people watch them and they're like, wow, yeah, like that. Well, that's what a lesson. And then it just continues exactly yeah. the same every single time. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't change. It's just the medium has changed, but the the yeah. behavior does not change. Now you can go on TikTok or whatever. You can go on YouTube. You go on Facebook. Facebook is a den of insanity. Ugh. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is like, like if if people then knew what you were going to be able to do, it would it would make their brains implode. Implode. Yeah, implode. like all the all the people that were writing these kinds of stories and movies back then. Holy shit! Like they would have. If to, to harness 10% of their energy, you know, to, to write something like about Facebook, you know, with one of those 50s yeah. writers, that would be amazing. And that's why this stuff really connects with me because it's like, dude, this is a human thing. Yeah. This is, this is wired into humans. If you give them a certain type of environment, mm-hmm. you get this behavior is going to spit it out. It emerges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's the dude who's on the corner of the street on the little soapbox spouting stuff or he's on the radio or he's got a Facebook page or he's on TikTok. It's a human thing. It's a human behavior. And you have, we have to be aware of it. And, you know, stories are one way of sort of hopefully trying to, you know, make people aware of it. You know, I mean, we still seem to be going into that same behavior over and over and over again. Unfortunately, like you said, it's almost like it's a natural it, natural in the purest sense of the word human thing it's just our nature and it comes out and you know we we keep telling the story over and over again and we heed it we we listen to it but uh, it's just repeats yeah yeah so um yeah so someone was asking what film we're talking about right yeah we're, we're talking about this film from ellie kazana facing the crowd um from the i think it's from like 56 56 so. or 57 yeah yeah 56 or 57 um yeah it's it's you know it it's a great film. Um, I think it really, again, it hits on that kind of moral thing really well. Mm-hmm. Like there's, I feel like there's some that try to do this, but there are some that just don't do it as well. This one does it really well with great acting, great performances. Um, yeah. And yeah, love it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just one on my list, basically, as I, as I go through the Kazan canon, as it were. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, that was uh, 76, right? 76 that's right all right my number 76 of all time <laughs> is um david fincher who we've been talking about uh david fincher's the game 
Ooh, the uh, game. Yeah, oh, which man. is so, so, so goddamn underrated. I think there's a pattern I'm noticing in my list where, like, I will bring up a, a filmmaker and then you'll think two or three things and then I pick the thing that, like, people... Um, now they're talking about it, but, like, at the time, it wasn't, like, the biggest success or whatever. Um, like I said, Friedkin and I said to live and die in L.A. instead of French Connection, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the game because it felt to me at the time like a small-ish kind of movie that nobody really talked about. And I saw it, of course, in, like, the early 2000s or whatever on video. And uh, it had Michael Douglas in it. I was like, how how can this possibly fail? You know, uh, I, I love Michael Douglas and I love mystery movies. But I didn't really know who David Fincher was and what he had done. I'm pretty sure this is the first David Fincher movie I ever saw. Um, and boy, what a ride it is. And uh, I think the, the thing that is, stands out about this movie is the mystery. It's very, uh, it's almost kind of like a Hitchcockian kind of a premise uh, of this guy. He's like a big, at, he's like a big banker or whatever. Uh, and uh, he meets with, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but he meets with his brother or whatever. And his brother's like, yo, I'm going to hook you up with this company. And they do these crazy, like in real life, you know, type of, uh, meta game things uh alternate real i think today we would call them alternate reality games args uh so he's like now okay whatever bro uh so he goes home and then like his tv starts talking to him and all this weird shits like starts happening uh and it's interesting for a couple reasons it's done in the late 90s so everything about this movie is like the the all of the kind of crazy mind fuckery stuff is done through by way of like late nineties technology. So like the TV being able to see him and talk to him is horrifying in that context to us. It's just like, Oh, I left my laptop camera on. I yeah. guess it was hacked. <laughs> like you can rationalize it a little bit more, but at the time, you know, like this guy turns on the cable news and the cable news starts talking to him. And that's kind of a big deal. Uh, he's got a cell phone in his car. Like there's a lot of like silly late nineties kind of tech in this movie. But it's done, uh, I mean, it's it's David Fincher, right? So it's very moody, very dark. Uh, it's it's one of the darker kind of of his movies. Uh, and uh, it's very mysterious. And the performances in this is, are, are amazing. Sean Penn in particular. Sean Penn kind of, for a while there, like just you, for bit parts like this, he just couldn't miss. You know, he was just like the character that you wanted in, in all of these movies. Uh, Deborah Cara Unger. Didn't make too many movies, but she has like a very solid presence in these movies. She's in another movie that's in my top 100 coming later on. Um, she plays kind of like the lead, uh, like uh, I guess you could say love interest in this movie. Uh, she's kind of like the mysterious woman, right? That is like may or may not have information for him and he's chasing her and she's like being uh, reticent. And uh, ultimately, she's feeding him all this stuff about there's this great conspiracy and they're trying to kill me and they're trying to kill you and this and that. And Michael Douglas is uh, basically like the avatar for the for the viewer. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. And you're along for the ride. And obviously, he's Michael Douglas. So he's likable. He's relatable. Um, But what I like about this movie the most and why it's on my list is um, the mood of it. It's it's all set at night. It's a San Francisco movie. So that's a very cinematic setting and city on its own. Uh, but it's all at night. It's all moody. It's all back alleys and like, you know, deserted parking lots and parking garages and shit like that. And uh, I think it, it gets a little too weird towards the end. Like he ends up in a casket or whatever. He goes to Mexico. I don't remember exactly what happens. It does get a little out of hand. Um, the twist is I don't I should read more about it. I don't the twist doesn't seem to me like a like a David Fincher approved twist because it does ultimately have a a happy ending uh but it is about a guy losing his mind 
in a very, very like Hitchcockian kind of way, but it's more, uh, it's done in the nineties. And I have a little bit of a nostalgia for the nineties kind of growing up with, with some of that stuff. Um, and I think it's not talked about as much as some of yeah. his other movies. And I think it totally should be. And I think everybody should watch this movie, especially if you like a good mystery, uh, because it takes you for a ride. And even if the payoff is not the greatest thing ever, the, it, it makes you question so much along the way in the way that the best Hitchcock movies and some of those best thrillers would do uh, of like the kind of classic Hollywood era. And uh, yeah, I totally, I totally love this movie. And it's, it's, it's a very like dark movie. Everything is like drenched in in shadow, and uh, it's noirish in that way, and I, I like it. And there's conspiracies and stuff, so you can have fun with it. <laughs> but I love the game. I, I feel like the the Hitchcock version of the game would be like the main character. They think it's someone else, but then he's caught into the game. There's always yeah, you're right, exactly. There's always in Hitchcock. There's always like the the mistaken identity thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like they got the wrong guy, and he's trying to tell them, "I'm not the guy. I, it's someone else. I don't want to be in this game." Like what game? What, what are you game? Talking about? Exactly. Well, there's that. That's in this movie. There's a yes. there's a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a really good character actor that's been in like 300 things that passed away recently. I forget his name, uh, but he he plays the guy who works for the company that puts on the game. And Michael Douglas goes to him throughout the movie, and he's like, "Let me out! Like, I don't yeah. want to be in this fucking game." He's like, "There's no game. This company doesn't exist. We sell whatever we sell, you know." And then there's a great scene towards the end of the movie where he finds this guy like with his kids or whatever in public. And it's like, ah, the jig is up. Like I, I caught you. Now I'm going to get my hands on you. Like there's no security around or anything. And the guy explains to him, he's like, listen, all right, I was just paid by someone else and this and that. And it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. And that's a lie. And that's a lie. And that's a lie. And it's all part of the game. Yeah. It, it unravels that, in a really fun way. That's what's cool about the premise, right? Because like you, you can go so deep because when you start questioning one thing, then you have to question everything. And it's almost like, how deep does this go? You know, like, I don't know, like, like, you know, like maybe he meets a guy who's, who's, who's the garbage guy. And then like, is the garbage guy, you know, putting, putting stuff, you know, trying to track him or whatever, or. And then you, yeah. And then you think that's where it ends. You think you figured it out. It's the garbage man. And then you find out, oh, but the garbage man is in, you know, cahoots with yes. the guys in the van across the street. Yep. And you're like, what are those guys doing? It's- yeah, 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 exactly. Like there's a scene, he'll look across the street and then, and then it's like, oh, actually he's being stalked by his neighbor mm-hmm. who is someone who moved in. He had to know them or whatever. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's just like fun- that, that game is so interesting. Like just, just like when, whenever, you know, you're questioning everything. Yeah. And there's so much stuff like I feel like the 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 core thing of this is there's so much we take for granted in society. Mm-hmm. Right? Where we're just like, yeah, someone does this for me, someone does that for me. Um I you know, like I'm just on the internet all the time. Who's right. who's looking at all the stuff that I do on the internet? Yeah. Because there's so much, there's so much stuff like in this particular movie, he's a, he's a banker, right? And he's a really high profile person. So, uh, and his brother sets up the game. So they have access to a lot of personal information about him. So he gets freaked out throughout the movie of like, how did you know that? Or how did this, who are you people? And why are you, how, how do you know this stuff about me? There is a version of this movie that takes place in, you know, 2019 or 2020 that has like all, like think about just the amount of information about you that's out there that you don't really think about. That's on Facebook and it's in tracked by websites and ad companies and stuff. Uh, and I think Fincher is, again, the out of all of the directors that were working in the 90s, like this is the guy that's going to give it the most interesting 
kind of a kind of a take and not like it's not just about the plot stuff but it's all in the delivery of it and like the method of it and the mode of it yeah again it's very mysterious and it's very shadowy figures and guys in trench coats and hats and stuff like he knows what he's doing with with those images yeah it's very mysterious it's very dark it's very yeah makes you question things you know makes you feel like what makes you question like yeah like reality of just like wait is this this is fine right (laughs) you know yeah because that's a fear a lot i think that's that's secretly like a fear a lot of people have is that they're you know basically it's the uh truman show Mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. Truman Show and this are kind of similar, but it's like, what if you got put into the Truman Show? Right. And everyone's playing the Truman Show and you're the show, but you don't know it. And you don't know and you it. You can't yeah. get out and you can't get out. Yeah. I, 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 cause the Truman show, I love that movie too. And I was con- contemplating putting it on my list, but that's more of like, it's, you know, it's more of like, uh, it has a lot more lessons and a lot more morals and things like that. And, um, I like the, I like more the, the straight pure thriller type movies and i again like i keep telling i keep saying over and over i like a simple premise like a hitchcockian type of a thing i like a simple premise that kind of is expanded you know and goes from there and it's not because this movie you know it's it's not necessarily huge big budget action movies whatever it's not like a benjamin button or, or a social network or something that has lots of locations and characters and sets and it's really grandiose it's really just michael douglas in a bunch of alleyways and like cars and shit uh but it's it's shot in a in a really cool way. So yeah. Yeah. These are more along the lines of the movies that I really, really love is something like the yeah. game. It's just a good mystery shot by by somebody who knows like the 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 mode and the, the genre that they're working in. Yeah, I'm sure the script was like really big at the time. I think so. Yeah. Um yeah, the cause the nineties was a time where like that was that was I feel like it was like the eighties or nineties was like the peak, the peak spec. It was for sure. I think it was for sure the '90s because there were a lot of movies like this, like uh, like Deceived and things like that. Well, you'll you'll they'll pick like a lead, like a big name actor, and put him in like a his wife was uh, you know actually working for the KGB or whatever. Like just stupid fucking premises like that. Um, you know, his the her husband dies, and then he turns out he faked his death to have another life with another woman. But also, they're chased by the FBI for some reason. Yeah, like, ransom with Mel Gibson. Like yeah, a ransom. lot of these movies were being made. Yeah, you're right. I think it was the '90s. What was the what? There was one with Mel Gibson. It was like conspiracy or something. He was a conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy. Yeah, conspiracy, the one with him yeah. and uh, Julia Roberts. It's like all oh, the helicopters. Like like that's like the opening of the movie. <laughs> yeah yeah it's so great i i i miss it because i don't know where these movies go i think we had this conversation over and over and over again but where do the mid-tier you know you still got some stars you got some talent attached but like where do these movies go do they just go to netflix or are these the netflix originals that we review but because i feel like those are a lot more finessed and more poppy and they're you know done done for more mass appeal and some of these movies were just done for the i, I don't know like like the game to me feels pure Fincher. He just got to make it, which is lucky, I guess. Yeah, I feel I so I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there was a film that came out this year. It was a Vin Diesel film where he played. It was it's sort of like a not a big comic book movie. Oh, the Bloodshot. Was, yeah, Bloodshot. Bloodshot it, yeah. is Bloodshot is kind of like I think because they're going to do a sequel to that. Bloodshot yeah. is the future of of that kind of movie. But it's I think. but it's still like great, I guess. I, I I'll take what I can get. <laughs> I'll take what I can get, but it's still like uh, not necessarily superhero adjacent, but it's still like uh, it, oh, it's, it's definitely superhero adjacent. 
right but that's what i mean like i think that's those are the if that's the mid-tier kind of movie then that's fine but i preferred like in the 90s when the mid-tier movies were not superhero mid-tier movies like the shitty hellboy remake we got and stuff like that (laughs) i would prefer if they were just you know straight thrillers like this and there's a lot of again now you put it in my head there's a lot of movies that i can't think of off the top of my head conspiracy deceived uh uh, there's one with Ray Liotta where he like injects himself with the serum where he's able to see the future that I saw. Like there's so many fucking weird, stupid concept thrillers that came out in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, like I feel like instead a lot of it is kind of comic booky because there was another Netflix film, The Old Guard. I don't know if we, we, yeah. we probably I, didn't I, talk about it. I don't think but, I, uh, but I, I remember you spoke about it, but I, th- I don't think we did like a thing about it. Yeah, we, I did it with another person for our network. Oh, there you go. Um, you know, but again, it's a fucking, it's this Netflix assembly line, blah, 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 just yeah. spitting them yeah. out. Um, yeah. But that's, that one's a little bit bigger budget, but that feels in the same kind of mid rangey. It has stars, it has action, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. not really, it's not, it's not the big budget stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. big budget. It would have come out through like Warner Brothers or Disney or whatever, right? Well, that's not really Disney, but it would have it would have come out with one of the big three or four or whatever. You know, you make a good point. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's uh, I think you answered my question. Uh, I guess what I'm lamenting is that now the 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 mode that everybody's operating in is like comic booky type stuff and like yeah. uh, a lot of like the stuff the, you want is kind of dead which the stuff i want exactly is, i want is, because they they felt like there was a revival in the 90s and late 80s of these just pure thriller concepts that would have been made in the 60s or something you know mm-hmm. um and yeah i think he, this stuff is dormant for now i feel like the other guy who would do that was like tony scott tony scott did a lot of these like he would always be able to get stuff with uh yeah, and he's not with us anymore. Love he's, Tony he, Scott, dude. He, uh, what was that one uh, where it was like um, Denzel like had this thing that could see? Oh, was it the future or something? Deja, you remember that? Deja vu. Deja vu. Deja vu. Yeah. Deja vu, which is just this big high concept thing, and it's like, yeah, yeah let's get Tony Scott, let's get Denzel, let's yeah. sell this. Those guys made so many fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> <They did. laughs> yeah, or like. Um, but even then, I mean, Tony Scott was more of like a Jerry Bruckheimer, like action pumping out the stylized action genre, really, with starting with Top Gun and Days of Thunder and all those movies. Uh, but like even Enemy of the State, Enemy of the State is a perfect example of a movie like this. It's Will Smith is an average guy, just like you and me, and he witnesses something that he's not supposed to witness. And now the fucking government's trying to kill him. And whoa, like I love, love those concepts. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's just not as in vogue right now. It's not. Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, 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 yeah, because I think what's happening is there's a bifurcation, right? We'll make the film that's, you know, one to five million, mm-hmm. especially if we can shoot in fucking Greece or whatever, some random place where they're going to, where the labor's give cheap tax and breaks, yeah. they're going to give us tax breaks. We'll shoot in Romania, <laughs> you know, but there's that. And then yeah. there's Disney, Warner, Universal, we're going to shoot, we're going to make this Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. We're going to make this um, properties, properties, properties. Mm-hmm. They they just announced they're going to do another Predator movie um, through Disney. Yeah, they are. So bringing that back, they're doing Predator Five, I guess. Whatever it is. Didn't we just talk about this last week? How we're never going to see Predator again? Well, it's going to be a Predator Christmas movie or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm joking. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But like, you, you. <laughs> <laughs> like the Predator brings them like a. Happy yeah, and, and the next, the next Die Hard movie is uh, is like the War with Grandpa. It's just John McClane being played pranks on by his grandkids. <laughs> 
straight to Disney Plus. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways, I love the game. I love I'm glad we had to have a conversation about like these 90s yeah. like concept thrillers uh yes. and we've kind of unlocked the the thing that I'm nostalgic for and why it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. For now, I'm I mean, very you know, nostalgic for this stuff. Yeah, there's always a cycle, you know. There's mm-hmm. always a cycle. I just feel like I feel like if they, if you could get if you could do these for like half so usually they'd be like 50 million, right? If you could maybe do them for like half that. Yeah. And then try and but like yeah, I do think you're gonna you're not gonna be able to do the theatrical stuff, but you the could theater- yeah. You could maybe get the big enough name and then flip it to like again, another one uh coming to America two is gonna come out through Amazon Prime. It is. It is, yeah. Wow. That, that's a deal that went that's through. A, that's a big get. That's a big get. That yeah, and that's a big deal because like that's that's Eddie Murphy in a legacy property. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big that's a big deal. So I feel mm-hmm. like that's the avenue. Um and maybe maybe again doing the like do, like doing a legacy property, like doing a sequel or like maybe something related to something that already happened. Yeah. Remake or sequel and then just like kinda get a big name, do it. You gotta do it in another country. Keep the budget low, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you got to flip it to Amazon or Netflix or whoever. Yeah, and I feel like these movies exist. Like, I'm not trying to say that they don't exist because, like, there's a lot of movies again that pop up on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. They'll have like a Jason Momoa in them or someone, and it's like a lower kind of mid tier. Like, you know, he's a cop and uh, he finds drugs on someone or you know shit like that. But uh, it's not it's a little bit of the mysterious kind of thrillery stuff is more what I'm looking for. And uh, yeah. I, I think I just need to seek it out. It doesn't it's not coming to me via Fox anymore or, you know, Universal or however these because these were p- being put out through studios back then. Yeah. Unfortunately, they've gotten out of that game. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So um, I guess so I'll go with my number 75. Yes. So this is a, uh, a Billy Wilder film, uh, Sunset Boulevard. I so um yeah Billy Wilder was one of the great writers of all time in film history like he yeah. really really knew the craft of screenwriting uh Sunset Boulevard very... is like the reason that like all of the movies that I love got like exist <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so Billy Wilder was good at two things really he was good at um writing really good witty dialogue that's funny and comedies and he was good at he was good at doing tragedies and tragic mm-hmm. characters um, there's another film that he did, I think it was like The Lost Weekend, about mm-hmm. a guy who's a drunk. And just like, I mean, that film, that film is like, wow. He really like shows how just manic and just desperate this 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 drunk, this alcoholic guy is. Uh, and this film is, it's a different level of desperation in the main character. Um, he's chasing the dream, you know, the Hollywood dream, but he's, you know, he's not doing it. It's not working for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, almost in like the Hitchcockian happenstance, yeah, he, his car's messed up. He parks in front of this massive mansion. He goes in and it's, you know, uh, this woman who used to be a, uh, a, um, silent movie star. And she's like, oh yeah, write a, write a film for me. And she's going to pay him an insane amount of money. He's like, and I'm going to stop you right there. That is, was then still is the most probably quintessential Hollywood kind of fantasy, right? Is that you come to Hollywood, you come to LA and you're just going about your day and something happens and you'll run into a big movie star or a big producer. And you're just like, ah, now I you just I'll make a movie for you or you'll hire, I'll hire you for this or that. Like that is everybody's dream and fantasy. And it's like super, super unrealistic and not 
at all. But like, especially in in that like uh, romanticized classic Hollywood way, like this is the epitome of that. I think in this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, this this film is like this film is so well written. Yeah, it's so so well written because it is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. The guy, and again, William Holden is amazing. We know from the jumps he's that so he's doomed. But to see the way it plays out, um, and it's because he just can't, he can't let it go. You know, he can't let the dream go. Yep. He can't, he can't just, you know, like there's the great scene in the middle of the film where he's at a party and then she calls, someone calls him at the party and he's like, hey, she tried to kill herself. And he's, he's like, I mean, <laughs> he gets sucked back in and that's it. That mm-hmm. is it. At that point, he was dead. Point in a return. Yeah. At that point, he killed himself. <laughs> he didn't even yeah. know it. Yeah. Well, the re- and then there's another point too, like when he was like last about to leave her, and he just can't. He there's the the thing about him is he can't just let it go. Mm-hmm. He had to get in one last dig on her. Yep. And when he did, she was like, "I'm killing him." And yeah. she shoots him. <laughs> yeah, that's the classic scene that, like, in every fucking acting class, every director directing class, like that. That's the scene that people do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so it's such an amazing film. Um, and the fact that he got Gloria Swanson and Eric von Stroheim to be in the film, mm-hmm. two people from the silent era who were mm-hmm. like big as yeah. actors and Stroheim as a director, it just it, it, it all of it is like. It's authentic. It feels authentic. It, it's super authentic. And, and the thing about it, too, is like there's a lot of films like this that are I'll get into a couple later films that are kind of inside inside baseball. But like they're mm-hmm. about film. They're about, you know, storytelling. or They're about like what it's like to actually exist in this space. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. crazy it is where people don't know and they don't understand. Yeah. What it does to people. A lot of them get too too much and people don't understand. This is one where you can actually connect and. And, and you understand it, even if you didn't know anything about the Hollywood system or the Hollywood stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just the story of a guy who has a dream, who follows it and into his destruction. But it's also really, he destroys himself, you know, yeah. because he could have, he could have just said, okay, listen, I need to, I've, I've been lying to you for a long time. Uh, I'm not really a great writer and I don't think it's going to work out. So let's move on. But he can't do that. Yeah. He can't do that. And it destroys he- him. Yeah. And the the reason and I said, like, this is the movie that basically is one of the main reasons that like a lot of the movies that I love exist is because of that classic film noir, like the pathology of these types of characters, the self-destructive thing of like he, you know, he's just a guy who's trying to live his life or he's trying to do the right thing or whatever. But he can't because he's got this like critical character flaw and he can't overcome it. And that's kind of the tragedy of it. Um, I love that shit because. It's been done over and over and over and over and over again. But uh, also the style that this movie is directed in, you know, like kind of a, you know, kind of a big uh, blueprint of a, of a film noir movie. Basically, it's all in here. And uh, yeah, like you said, like you don't necessarily have to be into the Hollywood, like the inside baseball stuff or care about that stuff. But the style of it. The way that it, the, they literally paint these characters, uh, to me, the, the, the way the cinematography is, it kind of draws you in. Uh, it's, it's like pure mu- movie magic for a lot of people who are not necessarily familiar with movie magic. Like, this is the kind of movie that would, like, make you kind of realize why you love movies in the first place. At least that's the way I, I look at it. I romanticize it a little bit because I just love film noir. But uh, I feel like anyone who's – people who don't watch black and white movies, oh, black and white, fuck that. I'm not watching it. Uh, I think you should you should maybe give this one a look because it'll make you realize like, oh, I, I really like 
movies for for this reason. <laughs> yeah, he Billy Wilder is such an incredible filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that the, the thing about it too is like he's not even American. Yeah, he's not from America. So he he's a German guy. His first language is German, mm-hmm. and he's one of the greatest writers of English language dialogue and English films mm-hmm. in history. Mm-hmm. Like this guy is really, really good at what he does. He's really intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just so good at, you know, again, double indemnity, another one of these kind of tragic. Oh, I love of, double indemnity. Yeah. He just, he's so good at making these, yeah. these, kind of, these kind of tragic figures where it's just like, dude, you're, you're screwing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, he almost kind of, you know, I feel like he's just like the blueprint. Like he's, he's, he is a hundred percent. Yeah, in yeah, terms of like and the, the, and the comedies, <laughs> the comedies, yeah, right. It's like um, kind of like what what is it? Um, Howard Hawks was kind of like he kind of he kind of did both as well. You know, like he would do some of the tragedies, some gangster movies, things like that, but also really, really, really good screwball comedies and stuff like that too. So, so some of these guys were just like really like masters. Yeah, he's an absolute master, and this is I feel like this is probably his best film. Uh, the Apartment's really good too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I love him, and this this film is incredible um, on so many levels. Yeah, the so Sunset Boulevard is is unfuckwithable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's my uh, that's my number. What was it seventy five? Right, mm-hmm. seventy five. Yeah. Seventy five. Sunset Boulevard. Cool. My number seventy five. You may have heard of it. Uh, may have heard of it. Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. Labyrinth del Fauno. Yeah. Uh, I we talked about this movie very recently. You can watch that whole thing. We don't need to have a big discussion about it. But uh, the way it slots into this list is, um, again, kind of what we talked about in in the in the review for the movie. It's just it's a fairy tale played like realistically almost. Uh, it's a yeah. fairy tale that may not even be a fairy tale, depending on how you take things. It, it's opened up to be able to be watched in many different ways. It's an R-rated fairy tale where the reality of where the fairy tale is taking place is part of it, is what informs it, is the some of the grossness that is, you know, like they, they play off each other. The real situations, you know, with the, uh, the mandrake root and the feeding it blood and stuff and the the mother and kind of the stuff that happens with the fawn and, and the fantasy stuff, it all kind of works together. And uh, I believe it's very much Guillermo del Toro's best movie. I don't think like, you know, some, some artists like they're, they're good and they're always going to be good, but there's, you know, there's like that one work that once they get it out, that's kind of like, that's it. You can iterate on that and you can make better, st- different stuff, different stories, whatever. But like your signature kind of the reason that you got into making movies is this is to make this one and Guillermo del Toro in particular he fucking loves reading books he loves fantasy specifically he loves fairy tales he loves monster movies the concept of like monsters and ghouls and goblins and things like that and this movie kind of has all of it and it's all rolled into it it's rolled into like a it's got a historical backdrop uh that he may or may not feel close to I'm not I I don't 100% remember that but uh it's as close to a perfect movie as I can fathom, basically, this movie. Uh, and so, yeah, it's easily, easily on the list. Yeah, just like as like you said, this is this is the movie you think of when you think of him, is yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. It's all the kind of things he's trying to do, the dark fantasy, the horror, the, you know, the fairy tale told, not in the Disney version, but like the real stuff where people die. Yeah, 
and even even beyond that, like the 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 way that the mechanics of how it was made, you know, uh, a lot of hand drawn stuff, a lot of handcrafted sets, a lot of uh, animatronic stuff, and puppeteering and. Um, full body costumes and stuff like that. Like the real, like he fucking, it is abundantly clear. He loves creature from the black lagoon because he keeps putting Doug Jones in fucking body suits, you know, like stuff like that. And it's all kind of feeds into this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great film. Um, yeah, we did a whole episode Mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, people should definitely check it out. We go really extensively into the film. Yeah. But I love this movie. It's gorgeous. I think anybody, it'll work for, I think anybody should be able to appreciate this movie for what it is. And especially if you've ever read a fairy tale and you're like, that's kind of fucked up. That's for kids. That's, that's this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is one we both like a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. Okay. So we're at number 74. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number 74 is another Fellini film. This is La Strada. La Strada. Uh, this, uh, you know, yeah. These films, I think the last one I talked about was also a little, somber and tragic this is another tragic one so this is about this uh this woman uh i forget her, like how you pronounce her name it's like gelsomnia gelsomnia something like that uh she's just you know yeah. your your typical young woman uh and then this dude who's a freaking strong man in a kind of circus kind of thing comes to this woman her mom and is like hey i need i need this person to come with me uh you know and he says yeah i'll i'll basically buy her from you for ten thousand lira yeah. and she's like okay and this is like after they've already done a similar thing with the girl's sister who died so <laughs> that's the setup is like yeah you're going with this guy and your sister died but i need the money so goodbye <laughs> and then and then the two, yeah like that's the setup of this movie and then uh you know they just they go on this adventure where they're both uh traveling you know kind of clown circus right 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 right. yeah okay i remember uh, i haven't seen it obviously but like i i remembered it being talked about yeah 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 Yeah. and you know like it's basically the contrast of this film is like so she's a very kind of sweet naive kind character and he's a little brutish and hard and you know but like she's going about her life and she's learning stuff and meeting new people and i mean the the ending is not happy (laughs) Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is like right in his sweet spot. Talking about these these stories about these kind of characters, like they're on the fringes of society, but they, you know, there's these people that have heart, but they're kind of stuck in a bad place and they're trying to make the best out of the situation. And in the end, we get this sort of it, it's it's bittersweet kind of like like, yeah, that sucks, but you know, that's life kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. people go on even though bad things have happened. Um, and also, you know, he, he seems to like clowns and people in the circus or whatever. Like there's always, there's always a prostitute or a clown or they're both. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this one, kinda, yeah, you get, you get the clown stuff. Um, he must've hung out with a lot of clowns when he was, uh, or circus people when he was younger. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that yeah, was this film a, really struck me. That it, was a thing I feel like for a lot of, um, European like growing up in in, in those uh, early 1900s, uh, the traveling circus and the, you know, the, the troops of like, quote unquote, like freaks, you know, like that was a thing. So I'm sure that, that was inspired by, by something like that. Yeah. Because like there's so much like, in you know, culture. how do people end up in those places, right? Like that's yeah, true. Where, where these, it's a that's... fascination with it. Yeah. 
Like I, I'm thinking of the HBO series, like the Carnivale or whatever. Like the there, there's people have been trying to exploit that story of like how do the circus freaks end up being circus freaks for a long, long, long time. But uh, I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, it's you know, it's 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 about like what happens in their family life. Yeah, you know, maybe they just they just it's like people that become comedians. Like there's something yeah. that makes them want to make people laugh so that they get some kind of feeling. Yeah, or there's just like really passionate entertainers, you know, who couldn't make it in uh, uh, maybe what they wanted to do was like do, do stand up or do magic tricks or whatever, and they end up in the in a troupe like this, and they kind of yeah. get stuck there. So yeah. Yeah, this is this was a another kind of like Knights of Cabiria. It's this this kind of you know this odyssey of a character, mm-hmm. and you get this. Yeah, the ending is really well done because you're just like you're sad, but you I don't know. It's almost like a sad nostalgic feeling, um, and it really cool. works. Cool, it really works. So yeah, uh, that is La Strada. Yeah, definitely heard a lot about that one too. Um, cool. Number 74. That was your 74? La Strada? Mine is the most American fucking movie you could ever hope to make. Uh, Number 74 is Rocky. Uh, And the reason I say that is because the pure, like, raw, raw American dream underdog, like, energy of this movie, like, it's, it feels, it's, it's just permeates throughout, you know? And, uh, but there's a couple of reasons. A lot of people have talked about Rocky. It's very popular. A lot of people have seen it. There's a lot of sequels. There's Rocky four. A lot of people know Rocky from Rocky four, Rocky three with Mr. T or Rocky four with the Russians and Dolph Lundgren and, and shit like that. But, um, again, removed from all of that stuff, Rocky on its own is a very, very like, uh, emotional, very kind of personal type of movie. It's about this more or less this like loser type character who we can all identify with. Um, He's just trying to get by in life and, you know, he's working for these weirdos, these loan sharks or whatever on the, on in Philly, in Philly, you know, he's kind of getting involved with the rough kinds, but you know, making a living is tough. Um, And it's just this great, like it's a, it's a tale as old as time, right? It's like a, any other of the story, the stories that we talked about, like the the movies that you brought up today, is you know this guy gets plucked out of obscurity. He's given this uh, crazy opportunity to do this thing that he really loves, and if he succeeds, you know, it might be, his dreams might come true. If he doesn't succeed, at least he got to try it, kind of a thing. Uh, it's all it's all good in the hood. It's a good feeling movie. Um, there's a lot of particularly I love what I love about this movie that because Stallone, you know, skyrocketed to fame after this and he would write and direct many action movies and get jacked and bang supermodels and do cocaine with Arnold Schwarzeneggers and bang supermodels again and, (laughs) you know, and shit like that. But before all all of this, like he's really relatable and really emotional in this. He had done he had some acting experience, but primarily he's known for writing the script for Rocky and selling it on the basis that he would get to star in the movie. Uh, and again, it, it was lucky, I think, that they got a good director to make this movie, John Avildsen, uh, who would end up making The Karate Kid and other movies like that. He's very like vulnerable, Stallone, in this movie, his acting, his performance. He's not jacked or anything. Um, <laughs> I just I, I love the scenes the most in, in Rocky, the scenes where he's like alone in his apartment, and he's got his... Uh, He's got his dog, right? I think Buttkiss is in this movie. Uh, he's got a uh, he's got a pet. He's got like a turtle or a lizard or something. I don't remember. A fish, I think. Maybe it's a fish. Like the 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 kind of quiet, like really he- moments that humanize him a lot before he becomes this like larger than life rock star type character. Um, 
you kind of get a sense of like the block that he lives on. We spend a lot of time there. We see the people the that are hanging out next to like those, uh, you know, barrel fires and singing songs and stuff. And you get this like really kind of like these people are poor and they're living in the city, but like they have their own little um, kind of corner of, of life that they've carved up, carved up for themselves. And Rocky is the one that is going to make it out and he's going to make the whole area famous and whatever. And of course there's a love story along the way with, with Talia Shire and uh, Burt Young in this movie, in every movie that he was in, but Burt Young in particular, the Polly, the, her sister, her brother is a total character. And there's a lot of like, almost uncomfortable like domestic kind of situations in this movie where Polly's like really really fucking like he's kind of a piece of shit uh, <laughs> but but it, it all I believe it all it all serves kind of like the reality of the movie because it's a very grounded movie uh, and it's not very superhero you know big larger than life characters uh, it's just you know people trying to make ends meet in Philly and it just happens to be about a boxer and you know you, the that montage of him you know with the with the Bill Conti music and the running up the stairs is unfuckwithable it's just movie history at this point um but I like Rocky and I want to just make I want to make the point that I love Rocky not for all of the rest of the Rocky movies but for that one movie it's just such pure distilled like 70s filmmaking and like American dream you can do it if you believe you can do it kind of a thing. And it's just like, it's a little cheesy, but like, it's, I don't know, I guess it, it's like a feel good story. It, it's good for forever. I think. Yeah. Like you said, this it's, it's not surprising that the Rocky franchise would end up with the American Rocky fighting the evil Russian guy who takes steroids. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can kind of trade like the movies are so different, but you can trace it. Right. Yeah. Rocky. Rocky as a guy, as, as the, you know, he stands for, like I said, like the American dream. Right. And if he represents that, then you trace it all the way forward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fights the Russian. He has to fight the Russian evil guy. Yeah. It's great. Um, I, I, uh, I, I like this movie for sure. Uh, it's, it has become quite a franchise and it's not over. Um, it is not over and it's probably not going to be over for a while as long as they can, you know, keep, finding new ways to make it interesting. Creed was a good uh, kind of mm-hmm. jump off point. Yeah. Creed was um, awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think he gave a great performance in Creed Stallone. Mm-hmm. Um, no Stallone. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't know if he did, he, he did it to himself or anything. I mean, granted, I'm sure he's enjoying his riches, but um, Stallone was at one point a really, really honest uh, writer and filmmaker and actor. And then he just turned himself into this like, monolithic being uh but uh, i that's why i think rocky the first one is the quiet one that is like just more of a a, of a really good movie and of course it won best picture and it won a bunch of oscars that year Mm -hmm. yeah that one's like the the purest of the story right it's just the story it's not the other pizzazz and the you know the usual craziness that comes all the crazy hollywood stuff yeah Mm -hmm. this This is the hollywood stuff yeah, this is more or less like an indie movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I there's so much stuff I love about this. Like, I just, one of my favorite scenes is, like, when uh, it's the Apollo Creed's entourage. They're, like, doing some stuff. Like, basically, he's 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 a rich guy, and he's, he's dealing with endorsements and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then someone's flipping channels, and they see Rocky beating on, like, some fucking meat in a locker. And he's like, dude, hey, dude, hey, hey, dude. And he's not paying attention. He's like, dude, this guy is, like... Yeah. Well, we're out getting money. He's out. He's out working, beating on fucking meat in yeah. a in a cellar. Like you gotta take this guy seriously. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love that scene, and it's but it you know like because 
again, that's an American yeah. essential idea. It's right? an essential mentality. It's an essential yeah. thing. Is if like, you work hard enough and you believe in yourself and you're fucking people hard enough, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, as long as you're the one who's grinding and the other guy is out, you know, resting on his laurels, happy that he's rich and fat, you're going to, you're going to take him at some point. That's the American sort of And the, the thing that I don't think is necessarily talked about as much is in this first movie, uh, he doesn't win. He doesn't win he does the not championship. Win. Yeah. Yeah. But and it doesn't it's, matter. It's it's done in a way that's so brilliant because you know this is this is the this classic like I think in story terms they call it the need and the want. Mm-hmm, I want mm-hmm. to I want to win. I want to well because actually what he says he wants to go the distance. That's actually what. But yeah, even if right. what he wanted was I want to beat this guy. Yeah. But what he actually wants is to prove that he's good enough. Mm-hmm. That's what he needs. That's the thing that he needs, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that feels so much better. It's almost better when you don't get what you want, but you get what you need because exactly, then you're like, yeah. Now I now I know this is the thing. This is actually it. Yeah. And I thought I wanted this, but I don't actually want it anymore. And when you mm-hmm. can like put aside the thing you think you want, but then you find the thing you really need that mm-hmm. actually hits you and and it, it it fulfills your it nourishes your soul. Yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. so much more fulfilling. You know. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like it's it's all classic, just storytelling stuff. Like it's nothing new and groundbreaking, but uh, it's it's just done in a really really smart way and especially at the time like it's i love 70s movies and like this is a very very quintessential like looking 70s movie uh, and it's got a lot of people in it that ended up becoming superstars so uh, yeah yeah I, I love rocky and again again coming from the outside perspective of like what is america like and i only know american culture via movies this is a hundred percent won't it it was never not going to make a list like this because this is one of the movies that i watched you know as a kid in romania and i was just like you go to america and you can fucking climb the stairs and then you can do anything you want you know so yeah 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 totally mm-hmm. um yeah my it's my girlfriend's favorite film sort is of it half of the reason why we got together that's awesome um, in a weird way yeah but yeah <laughs> so it's definitely rocky has a special place for me yeah i love i love rocky yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're 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 going through, we're cruising. We're at seventy three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my seventy three. This is a film I sort of had to reassess uh, how much I really liked it, and I I figured out like there are some films like I was thinking about this list. And I'm like, this is a film I like more than I thought that I liked it. And mm. this film is James Cameron's film Aliens. Um, Aliens is it, so Cameron is one of the great directors of all time, all time. He is uh, a visionary. Yeah, he's the type of guy who certain things he understands really well. Um, I think he's really good at sort of taking characters and then sort of changing them in a way uh, that makes them uh, see them in a different light that that's original and unique. Mm. Um, so he does that in Terminator and does that here with Alien. So I feel like here he really is able to take Ripley and make her super iconic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, super iconic as like one of the great heroines of all time. Um, yeah. This film also he's he's taking this you know in the first film we see one alien and it kills a bunch of people. Uh, that film was really a horror film. Mm-hmm. This film is a bit more of an action film, but th- there is some horror suspense moments. This yeah, this movie is responsible in in not by itself, but it's one of those movies. I'm just gonna interject real quick that like yes, you can say it's a horror film because it, it, it follows Alien and it's got horror like elements in it and it's got a lot of tension. But this is, I feel like, is the first kind of movie in like a big like pop culture way that like blends the genres. You've got the horror and the thriller and the action in there because there's a lot of action movies nowadays that have 
a little bit of that like uh, thrillery kind of tension stuff to it uh, or like horror action. There's a lot of horror action now. And I think Aliens is largely responsible for that because honestly, it's just a bunch of meathead rah rah dudes shooting bugs, you know, uh, but you're like, you know, James Cameron is able to give it this emotional core that uh, kind of elevates it, I think. But yeah, Cameron's just like able to figure like he's 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 also like really good at depicting military people. Mm-hmm. That's sort of an underrated thing. Like he yeah. does that a lot, very, very, very well. I don't know what it is. Maybe he knows people, or he just is very good at research. But well, he's able they're, to. They're humanized, kind of. I mean, well, they're, they're, I, they're, yeah. the thing that comes to my mind is that he's able to like kind of get at the culture very well, mm. and a lot of it has to do with the lingo, the way they talk, the way they act. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, this yeah. film, like, it's just a bunch of right, like you said, it's a bunch of Marines. And Ripley. And the center of the story is Ripley sort of, you know, basically what we find out is she's been gone for years. And then they find her and she's outlived her child. Her child on Earth is dead. So smart. Yeah. Because because it all all feeds the theme, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it all feeds the theme. And then it's like, oh, she finds this this girl who's alone on a planet. Now that sort of she's found a new way to fulfill herself. Yeah. That motherly instinct kicks in. Oh, and by the way, she's fighting a queen alien. Yeah. <laughs> so it all fits. It all fits together. Yeah. Um, and again, like, there's so, like, got to talk about Stan Winston, right? Who's one yeah. of the greatest, yeah. one of the greatest film people of all time who creates all of these practical effects, creates the, what was it? The I forget the, well, the, the queen alien and the other alien. And, um, oh, I think I wrote it down, but I forget the, the workloader, that massive kind yes. of mech suit. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so so fucking iterated on so iconic that mech suit you know you see it's, it's so parody to death it's yeah. so amazing yeah. it's absolutely amazing and like you know only cameron and and like is someone who's like we got to do this this way you know mm-hmm. like he and he really uses force of will to like create these things um the other thing too is like again the the stuff he does with the marines is so incredible um i mean just like the character Hudson. There's so many characters that are just like so forgettable. And Hudson is just a side character who dies. And he's like, he just says more than any, he's just more memorable, more, we get more of a feeling is more realistic mm-hmm. than protagonists in other movies. He's just a dude yeah. who's yeah. sent on a mission. He's like, we're fucked. We're dead. Yeah. We're dead. <laughs> Especially at a time where like a lot of these movies were being made like, um, with, you know, just about like army dudes or whatever, or, like platoons going out to take out whatever, like Chuck Norris movies were being made and, uh, you know, Navy SEALs, things like that. Like to to be able to make characters out of those bit, those people that are really just there is like little pawns in the screenplay that you have to just knock over every once in a while. You're right. Like it is it is a feat to 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 make them interesting. Yeah, it's so impressive. And, you know, again, just like all the stuff he does with the with the with the script and the characters like there's a there's a core character thing threading through it with Ripley. It's not just like, yeah, it's Ripley. And therefore we should care. We care because he makes us care. He does a good job of it. It's the the, the motherly thing. Yeah, it's the smartest thing. And like you said, it, it it's part of the reason why they Ripley went on to become like one of the biggest icons is not necessarily because of the first film, because like that could have been I mean, it was but like. It was a big deal that it was a woman who who outlived everybody and ended up killing the alien in the first movie. But like 
it gives her that like iconic status of like this protect this like ultimate protector who's going to do anything and you know she can accomplish she can overcome whatever you know to 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 because of her motherliness i don't know like that that's kind of the theme of this movie i feel like yeah absolutely and and yeah this film is why we know about ripley as one of these big great characters in fiction yeah because in this movie she stares down a queen alien and throws out of the airlock (laughs) get away from her you bitch yeah yeah um i i love this movie i think it's i think it's really amazing and you know it it there's some disturbing stuff like we we don't really you know again before this he does a lot of higher level world building too oh yeah all all, all we've seen before this was one alien that Mm -hmm. kind of was in the shadows killing people in this film we see where they come from we see more of like how they operate and they're intelligent they're not just like random yeah, yeah, yeah. little he, he he opened it up he opened it up a lot yeah, yeah. they're yeah. very intelligent they work basic they yeah it's just and it makes them more frightening cuz like if you run across this thing <laughs> if you're unfortunate enough to run across this species they will obliterate you i don't want it <laughs> they, yeah and 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 this just totally makes you confirm like this is one of the great evils in any possible universe the thing I like too is like the the villain of this film again is the company. Yeah, the company yeah, yeah. is always the villain mm-hmm. because Ripley's like, let's nuke him from orbit and let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and it's Burke. Burke's like, oh no no no, blah blah blah. We can't do this. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. And Burke tries to stab him in the back. And there's a great line like, you don't see them fucking each other over for a percentage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but people do. The company does because it's all about you know the company is the great evil. Yeah. Wayland Yatani. <laughs> I love I love the Will and Yutani stuff. Uh, I love Bishop. Bishop is introduced in this movie. I love the because they all of these things are in the original, but you just have to really, really work for it, like third or fourth viewing type of stuff, because it's all like on the computer, on the mother, you know, like they talk about it. It's in the newspapers. It's in the 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 the, the stuff that they have on them, like the Wayland Yutani stuff is in the first movie, but it's not really talked about because that's not really what the movie's concerned with. Um, so I love that he was able to take, keep it in that world and not add, not make shit up, but just build on top of that. We had Ash, the Android in the first movie. So then he's like, why wouldn't they just have Androids for everything? So there's Bishop, here's the engineering Android and this and that. And you know, whatever the fuck it was, I don't remember exactly, but yeah, uh, it's just cool that he's able to build and build and build on what is essentially somebody else's thing. I I don't know if I told you the story I I read, um, I think it was in one of the commentaries for Terminator or something where he was at this stage where he was just like writing scripts for, for studios and he was going to write aliens and then he got called up to write Rambo first blood part two. And he was, he was having an absolute moment of crisis because he was so busy and overworked and he was trying to get Terminator made and he was in a motel room and he called his producer or his agent or whatever. And he was like, I listen, you got to help me decide which one do I write? You know, I can't do both. And then his agent is just like, you shut the fuck up. You buckle down and you write both. And then he did. And then, you know, that's, that's where we are today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause he wrote Rambo too. Yeah. Um, yeah. He did yeah. a lot of stuff. I mean, he, you know, and again, I was I, when I got into this deep dive on Terminator Two, he wrote that very quickly because the rights had been splintered off with a bunch of people, and then the people who owned it didn't want to do a sequel, and then finally, someone—it's it, crazy. Like basically, the guy who was a producer for Arnold bought the rights, and then a mm. producer was like, "Okay, Arnold, I'll pay you with a Gulfstream jet to do Terminator 2. Is that why and, Terminator Two is like so fucked up and in limbo, and like is now owned by Lionsgate or something? It's a, it's a dude, like the company that 
the company that I think owns it now is um it's a, it's a European company. Oh, it's, oh, it's a Studio Canal, isn't it? Studio Canal. Yeah. Yeah, that's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It is yeah. absolutely like what? Studio Canal? What? Yeah. So, yeah, he was in he was in a weird place for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, before he became James Cameron, right? I feel uh, like you come on the scene with the back-to-back Terminator aliens. You're James Cameron. Like at that point, the the, the world is yours. <laughs> yeah, the world the world pretty quickly became his <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's so like he he's he's a he's a master of certain. And parts it's of the worth film. noting. I mean, we can talk about aliens for three hours, as far as I'm concerned. But like, uh, it's worth noting that like James Cameron. Yeah. Okay. He's a great writer. Uh, that's not to be diminished, but like also he's got his background in uh, like Stan Winston type of stuff, like do actually building the the shit and the sets and animatronics and things like that. I believe he was like a fly on the wall during star Wars or something like that. Am I remembering that wrong? I don't know. That sounds more like Fincher. Okay. It just sounds like he was, I know he was involved with, maybe it was Roger Corman stuff. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he was involved yeah. in, in some of the like, you know, art department stuff on other big movies before he got to make his own movies. Yeah. He, um, well, he's a super intelligent guy, like just straight up. Like he is a super smart guy. Um, like he's like the 3d technology that he used for like avatar and stuff. He invented himself. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. So like he, he definitely, well, he's the guy who just fucking took a camera to the bottom of the ocean. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's <laughs> yeah. He's he was production designer for some of the early stuff, like in the eighties, early eighties. And and then there's there's the fun stories about like when he was hired to do Piranha Two, and then the guy fired him. And so it was so it was Corman stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it might have been Corman. Probably he probably like there's the all like back in the day. There's so many guys that came out of the Roger Corman school. Yeah, or even or even like I think it was like Dino De Laurentiis or people like that. There's these guys who yeah you just work for them and yeah. Um, I I think there was a guy. There was a guy who used to teach at DVC and he said yeah I work for Corman. <laughs> Like oh, there was a guy did. who there was a guy who taught at uh, San Francisco State who was like, "Yeah, I work for Foreman." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so many of them, yeah. right? Um, and yeah, yeah. I've, I've, and for so like on the on the Piranha thing, like he he did a bunch of stuff, and they fired him, and so then he broke into the guy's house and edited it after the guy. <laughs> was asleep or whatever <laughs> that's see that's the kind of like as much as you want to say like who are your favorite directors i'm going to be just like them i couldn't do shit like that like there's it takes a certain kind of moxie to be a james cameron like I, there's there's no way i could break in someone's house to he's, fucking steal 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 a movie from them he's an absolute maniac yeah he's yeah. an absolute maniac and yeah. yeah just reading all this stuff about him like uh, i was reading another thing stan um stan winston was doing creating so like in Terminator 2 they have this scene where the the mech steps on a skull mm-hmm. um and so he was he was making the skulls <laughs> that were going to be stepped on and he was like oh how many jim how many should i make he's like oh, i just make i'll do like 10 takes so he made 26 of them and they you did 26 takes of this good. thing stomping on <laughs> good good so it just shows you like this guy is there's something about him. Like there's something yeah. about him where he is so perfectionist and, but like he, he's a master. He's an absolute mm-hmm. master of the craft of storytelling. Yeah. And you, when you see, when you give him like the way he's able to sort of bring to life a, a concept and do the world building and show you all of the possible outlets of that idea, he always does it to the nth degree. And it's incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a good marriage of like the the writing side and though specifically the world building side is what he's so 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 good at uh with the practical stuff of being a director and and making this stuff. Uh yeah, it's it's like a singular talent kind of a thing. Yeah. Um and yeah, there's just so many things that we think about it, the Alien franchise and and the Alien the Xenomorph that come from this movie, that come from him, that come from what he did to build it out. That yeah, it just it deserves so much. I almost think that we we take it for granted. We kind of take it for granted how much is put into this movie. That yeah. we just it's the it's the mythology. It's like canon, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You mean as alien fans or just as like movie blockbuster? I fans? I mean just movie in general. When when you think yeah. of when someone thinks of the xenomorph, the alien, there's a lot of stuff that came from this movie that just is in their brain. Even if they've never seen the movie, they think oh, of the queen. Yeah. They think yeah. of the. The, the 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 people you know like in the hive where the eggs are and the, then they get uh, the auto rifle uh, the yeah the I believe the heartbeat sensor was in the first movie but yeah uh, there's a lot of stuff that came out of these these two movies uh, for sure and I think uh, aliens in particular what is really responsible for is taking a concept as like niche and kind of weird as alien and just blowing it up to the most mass market appeal possible. Like that is a feed in it on on its on itself, and I think we owe a lot. Like all of the even the Marvel the MCU stuff owes a lot to Aliens to be able to bring something like this and make it as pop because it's a weird fucking niche concept to sell to you know your Joe Blow who wants to watch a love story or whatever. Like Aliens is is an event kind of a movie, and uh, so yeah, I, I it's a huge deal. Yeah, because like this is a, this is an R rated action movie. Exactly. This is not this is not some like you know kitty cartoon cutesy oh hi it's a little we're here to stop the xenomorphs no it's like these are murderous disgusting things that will burst out of your chest and then they are smarter they're basically just as smart as human beings yeah yeah, yeah. um oh yeah. yeah i it's so it's so smart so smart this movie the way they the builds on the original yeah yeah so yeah that's uh my 73 it's cool yeah my 73 is a is a pretty big one too uh stanley kubrick's the shining yeah uh, and I was going back and forth. I was just like, there's a lot of Kubrick movies that I really, really like. And I, which ones do I put on here? But ultimately, like, I can't not put The Shining on here. And specifically, the reason is because we talked about Shining. Like, if you want to hear us for whatever goddamn reason, talk more about this. The Dr. Sleep review, like, we went really in depth on this stuff. But The Shining in particular, it had to make the list because, well, A, Jack Nicholson. Uh, but B, I mean, there's so much mythology about this movie and the making of this movie and stuff, but I think what it ultimately accomplishes for me personally, and the reason that I love it so much is, uh, the Kubrick stuff. We talked about this. There's the, the, the big conflict of this movie is the Stephen King stuff, which is a little more fantastical and a little more plotty and the Kubrick stuff, which is just fucking immaculate, like framing and like psychological, uh, it's stuff to, done to manipulate you into like a false sense of security or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know if it's because uh, I grew up. So as, as like a single kid, like just had like a lot of lot, a single kids, sorry, only child, I should say. Um, I had a lot of time to just to myself to just fuck around and by myself and explore spaces and places and stuff like that. The idea the the, the stuff that I like about The Shining is just the kind of just exploring the overlook, like when Danny is just kind of riding around and just looking at the stuff. Um, it's a it's a big, big, big space, but there's only three people in it. 
or so we think, you know, and then there's all these like weirdos, like what coming in and out of reality. And you just really don't know what to think. And I think it's smart for, again, I like it, but I think what Kubrick did is he didn't really explain any of that stuff up front. He just kind of let it happen and play out for a while. The stuff that I don't like about the shining and the reason it's not like, higher up on my list is when the Stephen King stuff comes in and Scatman Carruther comes in. He's like, you got the shine. And he's like trying to explain that, like you can see into other people's uh, eyes and shit like that. Like, I don't care about that stuff at all. (laughs) I don't care at all about, you know, sticking Jack Nicholson in the freezer. And while they go out and do whatever Scooby-Doo shit that they do, uh, (laughs) I I don't care about that stuff at all. But, (laughs) but like the images of like that one of the, um, the dude getting blown but, in the yeah. hotel room and like, then the guy comes up and looks at the camera. There's just, it's so intelligent and so freaky that I, it just, I can't not love this shit. And um, Stanley Kubrick <laughs> takes a page from Hitchcock. He, he very much abides by the, uh, you have to have contempt for your audience kind of thing. And he does <laughs> and he doesn't care. And he just lets it hang out for a long time before he explains anything. And I love that about this movie. It's, yeah, one of the great horror movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it's because he sets a mood, and he sets a feeling, and it just persists and persists, and then it gets bigger and bigger. And then, yeah, there's just a bunch of scenes that play out where you're like, where's this going to go? I, I remember there's a scene where uh, Danny, where what's Jack calls Danny into his room. Yeah. And yeah, he yeah. seems a little off kilter, but you're like, you know, is he going to kill him? Yeah, and like, but Is like, ultimately, gonna... it's like a, it's like a, it's a, it's supposed to be like a heartfelt, like an apology scene, right? It's like kind of like a, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Is it that scene? But like, it starts out being like, is he gonna break his other arm? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it just, it just, you're like, I don't feel right, you know? It's just, yeah. and that's what you constantly feel. You feel trapped. Yeah. feel off and then it just gets bigger and bigger and, and it's, bigger. And it's all done through the filmmaking. That's that's kind of the, the, the thing I want to take away from this and the reason that I like it so much is that we're not told like you know, like there's not people talking off screen or about Jack off screen and they're like, you know, he's he's really kind of uh, lost it these last couple months, you know, he, he hurt Danny, you know, like it's just, you just kind of get the sense that like, eh, you know, it's icky. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, it's it's a great film and, you know, again, Stanley Kubrick, what's so great about him is he is the absolute, he's probably maybe the greatest of all time in terms of framing and composition of, of, yeah. of film. He is, yeah. his shots are immaculate. They are basically perfect and they are so um, iconic, uh, cinematic. Yeah. Like there's so many shots, just like, yeah, the stuff, the city camp shots, just like the, just the way that he frames the that, that big the, the way that the, the lobby itself is framed, you know, where the with the typewriter and the stairs, like you can close your eyes and you can see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of zooming too in this one. A lot of zoom lenses. <laughs> I love zoom lenses. I love that because it clearly, I mean, the the movie came out in nineteen eighty, but clearly it was made in before that it was made in the seventies. And it's got just a little bit of that tail end uh, of the seventies mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, the and, zooming in, zooming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um and just like, you know, yeah, just that carpet. That carpet. Like there's just so much about it that's you know can't get yeah. out of your head. Yeah, the the psychological film. the psychological aspect, like in the same way that like I like the game and stuff like that. I really like when the filmmaker digs into the main. It just it, it fucks with the viewer, and I like being fucked with in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's a great film for sure. Hated in its time, but now 
Yeah, it's uh, again every single time is just like people talk about Scarface, and then I read shit about Brian De Palma, and he's just like, I lost a lot of opportunities for making that movie. So I That's lost a unbelievable. Lot of money. Yeah, people fucking hated Scarface. That's dude. unbelievable. They hated it, <laughs> but we can talk. We'll we'll talk about that later. That's gotta be frustrating. Yeah, because yeah. that movie is like that movie, like like fucking Pete Diddy watches that movie on on repeat. It's hilarious. There's a there was there's a great piece that was made in like the mid or to late 2000s where like they got all these like rappers and entertainers and influencers uh, to talk about Scarface and they're like Scarface is Bible. Like it's in our it's in fucking it's every every hip hop lyric it's in every fucking every uh, wannabe gangsters fucking you know there's a poster of Scarface in his in his house so yeah but anyways the, the, it's, yeah it's just weird weird underappreciated. In its time, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun to talk about that one when it comes up. Um, oh, yeah, and it will. Okay, so yeah, so I'm gonna talk. About, so my number seventy two, uh, a very kind of interesting mid tier director that I like a lot. I like a lot of his films, and this is like probably this is definitely my favorite. Edward Zwick. Uh, oh, I Glory. love mid tier directors. Hell yes, I, I love, love man. Edward Zwick makes some fun. And he makes some big not, ass movies too. Yeah, makes some big movies. Yeah. So this was this was like a massive movie. Glory. Yeah. So this was like this one came out in late like '89. Mm-hmm. The cast was insane. So yeah, Matthew Broderick like in the '80s when he was big. Yeah. Denzel, mm-hmm. Carl Elwes when he was big. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman and Andre Brower. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. cast was crazy uh, for the time. And so basically the 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 story is uh you know this guy Robert Shaw he's uh, leading the first all black volunteer company. Um, and so you know it's about you know, these guys, they have to, basically they have to deal with, you know, you're fighting in the army and you're dealing with prejudice in the army as well as like the fact that they're fighting the South, mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. trying to keep them enslaved. Um, and this, this is just like, this is an epic, incredible film for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like that's all that I can say. It's an epic, incredible film. The cast is incredible. And you're just like, there's something about, you know, like there, there, it's rare to find films like this where you get all these guys that you really like you just care about mm-hmm. like i care mm-hmm. about these characters and i i think i know what you're saying yeah yeah and you're seeing them in this 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 epic conflict and i and mean you're denzel, with them. Yeah. yeah and denzel is incredible in this um and yeah the battle scenes are just so well done i mean zwick is really good at this kind of stuff yeah like he really depicts these action scenes well very um, underrated too because like some of the like big because you don't really think about it like you think of obviously like you think of big movies you think of your you know ridley scott's or what have you but like it uh, it takes uh, you got to have like a ringmaster who who is able to hold all this stuff together and yeah and he yeah, got good performances too mm-hmm. yeah I mean uh, Denzel won a won a Oscar for this movie yeah well after that fucking speech you're hard not to recognize right yeah yeah, yeah. also the tear when he's getting mm-hmm. whipped mm-hmm. I think I feel mm-hmm. like that's why I really won yeah uh, but yeah he's he's incredible and um, I I yeah just like I don't know I I love these kind of I love epic films I love films. Like the deal with like war, like this. Mm-hmm. Um, this film's also like it's not the cutesy like rah rah. Hey, we're you know right. like the way that we deal with World War Two. Like this is this is some bleak shit. Yes, yes. <laughs> but but it's I don't know. I think it 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 does a good job of like because like you know the thematic thing is like they're fighting for something. These these are people who are volunteering to fight for their own freedom, and mm-hmm. basically it's like they're willing to die for it for real. Yeah. And that's what they do at the end here at this film is they go off into this uh, bunker or whatever, and they 
they get blasted and it's it's a great it's an incredible scene when they when they charge that bunker and mm-hmm. you know they don't come out but it's like it's the it's the full kind of I don't know. It's like, it's just so amazing. Cause like, they're really kind of struggling to really like in the movie, be, you know, war is hard. And that's what this movie does. Well, it shows that war is like, it's, it's not a cutesy game for fun. Right. It is death. Right. Right. It right, is, right, right. It is struggle. It is pain. It is horror. Yeah. 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 And people volunteer to be in this horror, but they're doing it for a bigger thing. And so it's able to show you both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in the end they all, they all die, but in the end, they got freedom. That's what they were all fighting for was to make sure that there was freedom in the United States in the future. And in that, in that case, it's sort of a celebration of their sacrifice. Yeah. 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 It's, it's cool. It's cool. I'm glad that you brought this up. Uh, I'm glad that I didn't know you liked it so much. That's cool. I like this movie a lot too. Uh, and it gets put, uh, it gets put often in this canon of like these epic, uh, Hollywood movies about real uh, conflicts, you know, it gets put in the canon of like, or something with like a socially conscious message, right? Like you got glory and, uh, dances with wolves and fucking Braveheart gladiator. Like a lot of these movies that are kind of like historical epics made like in the modern day. But I think glory is like kind of different in the, like you say, like it's, the bleakness of it, I think, is what I remember of it is like the the kind of more grounded approach instead of the gra- like grandiose epic feeling to it. I don't know. It's a cool movie. I like I like it a lot. Yeah, I saw this great um, discussion. It was uh, Damien Chazelle, the guy who did like La La Land and uh, uh, Whiplash, and some mm-hmm. other films. He's like the guy from our generation who actually made it. <laughs> you pretty much, <laughs> he's right? Like, pretty much, he's the only yeah. one. <laughs> the fucking musical guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one guy who's made it. But so he was he was on this. They have uh I think it's a Hollywood reporter. They do these kind of they get basically they get a bunch of famous people together. Oh, like the to round talk. tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a round table, it was him and Denzel and some other people. And he talked about watching this as a kid. And he mm-hmm. said he was blown away to see everyone die at the end. Mm. He said it really like changed it changed yes. the way that he viewed. He was like, I didn't know you could do that. That's mm-hmm. what he said. He was like, mm-hmm. I, the little kid version of him was like, wait, you can kill everybody? All these people I love, like mm-hmm. they can just die. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it has that power because like, you know, you really are invested. And you're hanging out with them. It's a long movie. It's like almost three hours or something. Like you're hanging out with these characters and you're really invested. And they're, it, it's hard not to invest in their struggle, right? Like you, it, it's almost impossible. Like you, you have to identify yeah. with it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I, the, the one shot I, I'll always remember is like, they they're doing this charge and it's such a kind of beautiful moment because like there's so many of them like that like Andre Barr he plays this character who's like he's basically a nerd and he's mm-hmm. a nerd who like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna you know fight the goddamn Confederates which you know definitely an honorable thing and then you you end up in a war and it's like dude what the fuck but like <laughs> you have yeah. to like push past that yeah and you see him he does it he pushes past it and they're all just like they have this war charge and they're like screaming and it's, it's amazing. And then they fucking go around a corner and there's a dude waiting with a cannon and it just blasts them. Oh it, yeah. Oh, the just, cannon. The yes. Can- I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's life. Like you're, you're like, I'm there, I'm there. And you see, you turn around it's a cannon. And you dude, I forgot about that shot. I love that shot so that much. That shot is so powerful, dude. <laughs> Cause they're like running, they go around a corner and there's a yeah. literal fucking cannon waiting yeah. for them and they get blasted. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just it that that end scene that battle where they charge that that bunker is it's it's incredible it's absolutely yeah. incredible and yeah this film this film's great I loved it the minute I saw it and I, I think it's a really mm-hmm. good one absolutely yeah I'm glad you put that on your list cool 
yeah so um yeah that's my number 72 so uh cool my number 72 is in the uh once again we're taking it back to the 90s and to the uh alleyways not necessarily alleyways but like into the kind of grimy gritty shit uh but with an artistic twist uh my number 72 is leon the professional and it's unfuckwithable <laughs> this movie uh it just is and um I think I'll just talk about what I love about it more than just having to explain to you what Leon the Professional is. It's basically every story, like now especially, I feel like they're churning these out in like every fucking uh, premium cable show. Like every Showtime show has got to have like the gruff old man with the young apprentice and the they come from different backgrounds and they have to figure out a way to work together because they're stuck by circumstance or whatever. Um, it's it's kind of that. It's you, you got Leon who is a, an assassin and uh, uh, he basically takes in this girl after her family is murdered. And um, there's so many great scenes in this movie. And uh, what I like about it, like a lot of it takes place in like in uh, an apartment building in New York City. I believe it. I believe it's New York City. I could be wrong. But um, it's got a little bit of like a uh, it's directed by Luc Besson. So he's got like something like there's something about his like directing style. This like a uh, French kind of lot of uh wide angle lenses and like crazy camera movements and stuff like that um i love the setting of like setting a lot of the violence indoors i like that a lot about this movie like the scene where you know every everybody in that family gets murdered and the camera just kind of like moves through the rooms and uh, gary oldman is in this and he is just <laughs> i mean it's just gary oldman dialed up to 11 he's just like unfiltered you know they take off all of the training wheels and they're just like you know fucking go for it bro and <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to like this movie and um i think it did a lot too for like uh for like the action movies like the stuff that we still see today like uh, that's siege at the end of the movie where the the swat team is coming in and they're rushing the apartment building and it's like this great like epic thing and there's like smoke bombs and like Leon's trying to make it out and stuff. And uh, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point. I really love this movie. And but specifically what I like about it is uh, obviously the relationship between Leon and uh, the girl. Uh, I don't forget what her name is in the movie. Natalie Portman. Um, that's interesting. I like that he almost went there with the whole like like she kind of falls in love with him thing. Um, a lot of people mm. get weirded out by that. But I think it, it makes sense. Uh, especially since, you know, this girl is, was not, did not have the best kind of home life to begin with. And then her entire family's fucking murdered. And this guy's like her, her guardian angel, right? Her father figure. I, you can, that's not a leap of logic in my opinion to see that she falls in love with him, especially she's like, I don't know, 12 years old or whatever. Uh, she idealizes this guy and he's a piece of shit, right? Cause he's an assassin. Um, there's some crime. <laughs> There's some crime elements to this movie. Uh, there's a lot of there's some like goomba, like hey, what the fuck? You, you got my money, you know? Like it's it's so it has all of these elements of all of yeah, these. Yeah, Danny movies. Aiello. He recently Danny died. Aiello's he died this. this year. He died this year. Was that a 2020 death? I thought. Uh, it was either this year or last year. Yeah, I believe you. Either way, like it's it's a real shame, but like real kind of classic. Okay, yeah. It's December of last year. God damn it! But so, yeah, a lot of um. It just it's it's got a lot of those elements, a lot of those crime movie elements. Uh, with again, like the the twist is you know the the relationship between these two characters. But again, I like a lot that the it's it, a lot of the movie takes place either on the street 
or inside this like dilapidated, dirty old apartment building. And those are the types of locations that I really like. And a lot of the violence goes down inside the hallways and inside the rooms of these apartment buildings. And everything gets shredded. Everything gets yeah. blown up in this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a classic for a good reason. And uh, Jean Reno, probably the most under-fucking-appreciated actor ever. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of, like, French movies after this. And I've seen him in a lot of, like, straight-to-DVD stuff. But uh, I think he should have been a lot a lot bigger and like more, I mean, he was in Ronin with Robert Jr. I think, I think what screwed him over was stuff. then when, when this come out 94. Yeah. So, th- so then he like, he, he got cut up in that Godzilla shit. I think that fucked him over to be honest. You're right. I forgot about Godzilla. Yeah. Forget, that got, I, that Godzilla, that Godzilla, it. that Godzilla just like torpedoed. I erased Roland it. Emmerich got out of it. Fine. But I think everyone else took a hit. I think Broderick so. took a hit. He took a hit. And uh Jean Reno, he, he's so good in mission impossible too. The first one. <laughs> Yeah, so good in that movie. So he's yeah. I, I think this is one of those movies like before kind of everything imploded and everybody got big and Luke Besson got really big and he made Fifth Element and Natalie Portman became Natalie Portman and Gary Oldman became fucking Gary Oldman. Like this is, again, like this scaled back kind of honest crime movie. And I really, really, really like it. Yeah, it's great. Like you said, like like Gary Oldman is just a force, man. He mm. is he is so incredible of an actor. Um, another thing that comes to my mind is he has a very brief role in true romance where he's he's like a cracked oh, out he plays the pimp yeah cracked out pimp dude yeah with gold teeth and he's it's, he's like he can do anything Motherfucker. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's so incredible dude he's like again like uh we're talking about robert pattinson just like this guy you give him and he will create the character yeah 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 just let him do his thing let him do his thing um yeah i, I he's he's amazing in this and yeah, Luc Besson, um, the first thing I ever saw of his, my dad was a big fan of La Femme and Nikita. And so I saw I that. that movie too. Yeah. This feels, I mean, basically it's the, like that film is his character. He's in that movie, the professional mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. They, they hire him and then he, they, they like, they do a hit and then it's like, what we got to dispose of the body? He comes and he like takes care of it. This is like yeah. his solo movie. <laughs> this is much. a solo movie. Yeah, exactly. This is the solo movie with the, uh, you know, about it really, about like the the character of this guy, uh, more so than like just some of the you know plotty shit that was going on in the other movie. Yeah, Besson, this is Besson at his best, and he is a really he's yeah. he's a talented guy. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. He, and uh, as a writer, I mean, he is single handedly responsible for all of the fucking. He's got his own empire of like the he wrote empire. Taken. He wrote Taken, yeah. so that's all I got to say. <laughs> Taken. Um, when I was, you know, me and my friend would see every one of these, the uh, Jason Statham, uh, whatever that was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transporter. Oh, the transporter um, movies. That's right. Yeah. He wrote those too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a machine. He is a yeah, machine. I mean, I feel like he's kind of, for a lot of reasons, he's kind of over. Um, I didn't like. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like the newest thing he did. Um, yeah, it, I didn't it, like that. It got. It, I don't know. I don't even know. We could talk about that movie, but yeah, I saw that one in theaters, and it was just kind of like it. It was such a simple, like it was such a like the the, the setup was so easy. You all you have to do is just hit the ball, you know. And, yeah, uh, that movie just kind of folds in on itself a couple times where it doesn't need to. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is like this is him at the height of his power. I really, I really like probably the Fifth Element is probably my favorite. But this is this is the probably the best film he's done. Yeah, I like. I, I know I, a lot of people like the Fifth Element, and I, I it's not going to make my list. Spoiler alert. Uh, because for for me, what I really like is these again these intimate location based kind of movies and the because we spend so much time in the, in these buildings and in, on the streets it, it gets a layer of grit 
that builds up on it that uh, I, I really, really like. Uh, and there's some, you know, again, like all the fucking thank your Jason Bourne movies check. Like they all have to thank this movie in one way or another. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Nellie Portman's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah Unfortunately yeah. for her, like, you know, this sort of place or certain type of person who um, they, you know, they have problems. And so then they, they exuded that energy onto her. Like she basically, yeah. she had to go away from the world until she was like, I don't know, 16 or 17 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When she yeah. did, whenever, however old she was when she did the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Because she would get letters from creepy ass dudes. Yeah. Just pretty much forever, um, unfortunately. But she is, she, she is a great actor. Mm-hmm. She's an absolutely amazing actor. And you can see even at this age, she was professional and just like high oh, level. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. No, this movie, this movie absolutely falls apart without Natalie Portman. Yeah. Yeah. And they found the right, they found the person who, you know, there's always that sometimes that person that, that they have acting in their soul. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Like, you know, the guy, the guy from ET, uh, the mm-hmm. guy, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. They sometimes you find him and, and they just, yeah. I mean, that's amazing to think of someone that young who can emote on command. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. River Phoenix comes to mind too. Yeah. 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 All the phoenixes are well. What the actors? Is, you know, they're true, 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 true. They they kind of um, that's their their family profession. <laughs> They've got that gene, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Um, okay, so we're at seventy one. Yes, sir. Last one. So my number seventy one is uh, a incredible noir film. Rewatched this recently. It, it is it is unbelievable. Sweet smell of success. Mm. Um, this this film is like this film is unbelievable honestly i think this is like one of the most well written i think this film has the most sort of witty dry kind of sharp biting dialogue of any film ever mm-hmm. i really do um i i think that the writing is incredible the directing is incredible the acting is incredible so it's basically burt lancaster and tony curtis the film is about this guy um he he's called uh was it jj uh Huntsicker? Pretty much just imagine like <clears throat> imagine um pull ironically that that guy now would be like uh I forget what that guy's name was. It was Paris something. He was this blogger who like had all these connections with uh oh with all these connections with with like big celebrities and so he would just dish stuff on yeah. his blog. Was it was it Perez Hilton? It was Perez Hilton, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's like the Perez Hilton of his time but like more mm-hmm. just like but not like a goofy weird dude, like an actual power hungry guy. Mm. who who has this media empire and he uses his media empire to either help or destroy people and in this film pretty much he has this weird kind of tony montana thing with his sister and he doesn't like the person she's dating Mm -hmm. so he hires uh one of his uh well he recruits him this guy sydney falco played by tony curtis to find a way to break them up oh wow so that he doesn't have to do it so it's like yeah i want you to break them up in some way and then i'm going to um yeah like take her yeah it's, it's fucking weird he's like yeah and then i'm gonna take her on a cruise and we're gonna go on vacation it's it's very it's very weird dude <laughs> but the main the main thing is we follow the the tony curtis character as he's in this underworld and he is a um he's a press agent so mm-hmm. he deals with like all these different you know kind of hollywood types or and there's the new york actor or 
whatever kind of kind of kind of other other people that run newspapers or other people that do press or something like that. And so he's going around kind of currying favors with people or trying to manipulate people, trying to um, a lot of it. So like a lot of the plot at first has to do with them trying to plant the story. So mm -hmm. he's trying to plant the story in another newspaper. And so then they have this plan where he'll plant the story. And then um, once that happens, uh, the Hunsaker character is going to kind of defend the boyfriend. But when that happens, he expects that there's going to be some kind of confrontation. And so it's going to make Hunsaker look good, but then mm -hmm. the boyfriend will look bad. And then mm -hmm. she's going to come to her brother. Who's that sounds like a, this, this, this sounds like a concept that they would have, uh, they would have, you know, re revitalized or reimagined, you know, for like a, a like a nineties remake or something. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I love about this film too is like there's you know there's this kind of like this idea of like the 40s 50s New York kind of mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. milieu like the people mm -hmm. that talk really fast and yeah. they're out on the street and they're hustling you know they got the air on the ground and they know what's going on yeah this film nails that this film is like that is the universe this film takes place in that's cool and, and, they're, always, and they're always like wearing suits and shit <laughs> all wearing suits there's some great there's this great scene where um. You know, basically the 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 villain character is like he's almost like a thing. Like we haven't seen him, and then um, he he uh, the Tony Curtis character goes to this uh, bar where he's at, and he sits down with him, and they have this, and and the JJ Hunsaker character he's talking, who's played by Burt Lancaster, who's incredible in this. He's talking with this like senator who's like trying to pretty much kiss his ring. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and so then they have this this interesting conversation about you know like like they're kind of you know they're not they're not saying explicitly what they're trying to get out of each other but it's kind of well known and then they kind of uh <laughs> they they kind of like bring up like oh who's this who's this guy tony curtis and he has this long spiel oh he's a man of like he says like something that's like he's a man of 40 faces he's a street but he's basically a street urchin he tries to get he's tr he's just trying to like you know um put a nice face on and and take advantage of you so that he can get something. But he's a press agent. He's absolute scum. And he works for me. These are the type of people that work for me. The scumbags. That's what I do. I, I, I furry out these scumbags and I send out thousands of them and they go on the street for me. They get information on everybody. And then they come to me and they beg for my power. That's who I am. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible movie. I, and it's really like, it's another again like in this block i've talked about a lot of tragedies this is another tragedy mm -hmm. but it's sort of interesting because it's just tragedy but the characters are bad so it's right. kind of positive you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like in the end the characters we've been following the protagonists they kind of things don't end well for them but that's kind of good because that's they're fine really, yeah they're really scummy they're really evil like they are evil like the jj Huntsaker character is super evil and the tony curtis character he's bad but he's not really evil but he's kind of going along with this evil guy, so he kind of deserves it. Um, and there's this great, there's this great moment later on where basically he's the reason why he does it is like he's given this sort of Faustian bargain where he's like he's told to he's told to plant weed on the boyfriend because he wants he doesn't just want he doesn't just want him to lose uh, the sister the, the girlfriend sister. he also wants to now punish him and he has his connections with the police so yeah put put he the weed on him character yeah yeah put the weed on him. And then uh, these cop friends I know are going to beat the shit out of him, uh, um, and that that ends up being sort of his downfall. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I, it's it's an amazing film. Uh, it's it's one of the best films I've seen in a long time, and the dialogue is so well done. Like the way it they talk, like it. 
yeah. the way they talk, like it's that, you know, there's something about that, like New York fast talking kind of guys. That yeah, are really yeah, yeah, yeah. This nails that. It nails it like no film I've ever seen. Very cool. I, I know this is one of those movies that's like in the canon of like the great film noir or like noir type movies. Uh, so I've definitely I'm aware of it and it's on my list as well. But uh, yeah, it's you the, the the characters that you've described, like they're such pieces of shit that like the writing kind of has to back that up because if they're not interesting in what they're saying and the way they're communicating, then like, why are you even watching at all? Right. You know? And, and the, for the situations that they get themselves into. So it definitely, it, this said that I should probably watch this like tonight or tomorrow or something. It sounds fun. You'll love it. Mm-hmm. I, this is a Lucian kind of movie. Cause they're so scummy. It sounds like it. Yeah. It they're sounds so, like it. <laughs> they're so scummy, but they're so witty, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I kind of can't look away. I love because if they because if they don't have that, if they don't have that that wit and that fast talking, they literally have nothing. They're just a bunch yeah, of fucking. They're, they're wheeling and dealing. <laughs> they're just scummy people. Yeah. Yeah. We're, but but that's like that's under the surface, right? And but mm-hmm. but on the top level, we're like seeing these guys who present themselves in such a way, and they have all this power, and they're so interesting, and they're so witty that you're just like, I, I wanted, I want to be in this universe verse more i want to like experience their yeah <laughs> oh that's cool that's cool i like that stuff yeah because it feels like it's sort of like you know opening the curtain on something that is real for the time especially like there were these guys who like did this kind of hustling you know where they were just like trying to find information and, and fairing information and moving stuff around with people um and this just again it just nails it it nails it yeah that sounds cool yeah, Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis are totally amazing in this film. Um, the writing and the cinematography is beautiful. It's it's New York in the like fifties. Yeah, I'm assuming and, a lot of shadows, a lot of uh, things like that. Yeah, yeah, the way they shoot Burt Lancaster is really fun. It's very very noir. You know, sick. <laughs> yeah. So sweet smell of success, Alexander McKendrick. That's my number seventy one. Cool. Awesome. Well, then, uh, well, I guess that's it. Uh, my seventy one is a real, real depressing one. And I fucking love this movie so much. Uh, It's Clint Eastwood's Mystic River. Uh, And I feel like Clint Eastwood, whether I plan on it or not, ends up every week on, on, on the every, every 10. Like, I feel like he's either acting in something or he's directed something. Uh, And I, I love Mystic River so much. Uh, I love the way that it's directed, obviously, but the story itself is so goddamn depressing. It's based on a novel and it's about these three childhood friends uh, who, you know, they're friends, whatever they have had their childhood together. And um, now they're all grown up. So the three guys are Sean Penn, Tim Robbins and Kevin. No, not Kevin Bacon. He's one of the FBI. Is he? I think it is Kevin Bacon. Yeah. So those are the three guys. Uh, and then Lawrence Fishburne is like another one of the guys. So Kevin Bacon is now like a detective or whatever. Sean Penn is some other kind of big shot. And then Tim Robbins is kind of the one that like never really had success in his life. But the thing that kind of kicks off the drama is that uh, Sean Penn's daughter gets murdered. And it's one of those great things like we talked about when we did our top 10 of the decade. And I talked about the professor and the madman. Sometimes Sean Penn just goes places uh, and I think that's the reason why he is uh, he won an Oscar for this movie uh, or h- him and Tim Robbins, I believe. Um, and uh, sometimes like Sean Penn goes places and he lets he gets so it, it's like the the screaming kind of crying. It's the not the weeping, not the quiet, like internal stuff. It is the like 
his face is just melting and like the sorrow is like escaping the pores of his very existence. And uh, so that that's specifically that scene where they find his daughter in the park. And uh, of course, Kevin Bacon's there cause he's the detective and you know, they're friends and he's like, Oh, well, what's going on here? You know, is whatever. And Kevin Bacon has to kind of like come up, come up with a way to tell his friend that his fucking daughter's just, you know, right over there dead in a ditch. And uh, so there's that scene to kind of kick off the drama. And then we find out that, the there's a past uh, among these three guys where they were all molested by uh, Catholic priests in Boston because the whole movie takes place in Boston. So then there's that fucking layer. And then um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it turns out there is a misunderstanding. Uh, and Tim Robbins is the one that was kind of I think actually Tim Robbins is the one who was molested. He was the one who was selected to be molested. They were all in cars with these priests. But Tim Robbins was the guy who really got the actual like assault done to him yeah and so there's all of that and it's all of how he's coped with it and stuff and then uh, ultimately in the end of the movie i think sean penn's a mob guy is what it is yeah yeah Yeah. he has some some gangster connections and he he's he's using his gangster connections basically the gangsters are trying to find them and the cops are trying to find him exactly the killer Yeah, yeah, yeah Mm-hmm. And so basically, for whatever goddamn reason, throughout the, the, the process of this movie and unearthing this trauma, he begins to believe that like Tim Robbins is in one way or another responsible for killing his daughter. And that is just uh, having set up that scene with him crying in the park. Uh, there's nothing this man will not do to get revenge uh, for or to find out who killed his daughter. Right. And so it's a very tragic ending. It's a very tragic story. And uh, I like Clint Eastwood has a very kind of like invisible style of directing, I would say. Like it's not overly stylized. You can't really point to it and say like, oh, that's a Clint Eastwood movie. Or, oh, that's that's the kind of cinematography that he usually goes for. It's very uh, not necessarily dry, but it's very kind of like classical. It's very kind of simple, the stuff. Uh, but what he really has does a good job at is like telling the stories, uh, I think, because I, I have seen like he's directed 30 something fucking movies yeah. and I've seen all of them. So. <laughs> uh <laughs> Like he does that. That's kind of like the thing that he's really good at is uh, just kind of setting, putting the camera in a place where you can just kind of take everything in. And and specifically at this point in his career where he started directing other people, he just like gave it up. Uh, he starts to get really like just unbelievable performances from these A-listers. Like he got Sean Penn and Tim Robbins in this movie, of course, Hilary Swank in the next one, Million Dollar Baby, Morgan Freeman, so on and so forth himself eventually in Gran Torino. Um, but yeah, this is like during the era of Clint Eastwood where like he, he, I feel like he, it it was, he, he kind of like really matured as a filmmaker. This is kind of like the peak, like this movie, uh, letters from Iwo Jima, uh, flags of our fathers, like all of that, that, that kind of like canon of Clint Eastwood's directing. But this movie in particular, I like the most because it is a, is a procedural kind of, it unfolds that way. Like the, the cops are looking for who murdered this and the mob guys are looking for, for who murdered that. And, um, it's it's like a very kind of depressing it's got a depressing tinge to it and it's very moody um but it's not like over stylized or anything it's just like it's played very straight and uh it's a very cool movie i love this movie i think i feel like his strength as a director is he he uh especially his approach he is very sort of friendly for the actor like Mm -hmm. he's trying to get the best performance he's not going to over yeah. Sort of overdo them. He's not going to make them do a thousand takes just because mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. get he's going to he's going to trust them to give the best performance like right away in the mm-hmm. first couple takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that really shows like he gets great performances for sure. And he lets the like I feel like his films the the actor is 
what's what he's trying to he's not trying to like do a, a, a rhetorical flourish with his with his directing style exactly he's trying yeah. to show the actor tell the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and, that's a good way to put it yeah and especially in stuff like this where you get like you said all these amazing a-list actors just let them do their thing and just you know yeah it's and it's it's similar to one of those like uh like a birdman situation where like yes these are the a-list guys that you've seen in action movies and comedies and other things like that but like they're really 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 good actors too and i'm going to show you that kind of a thing yeah um, yeah this is yeah really really heart-wrenching this. stuff like the, the the ending of this movie is just really heart-wrenching stuff yeah it's it it yeah and, it's, uh, it's it's a rough it's just, one yeah. but it's a great movie um did, it did so i feel like i feel like this writer who wrote the because this was a novel i feel like this person also wrote like like gone baby gone or something like that i mm, that sounds that sounds correct yeah 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 uh well yeah yeah you're right you're right you're right yeah the novel yeah yeah good good source material from this yeah. person like yeah. they they and, write good stories that yeah. really translate and the the screenwriter for this is brian uh hell helgeland helgeland i don't know how to say his name uh he's a filmmaker in his own right and he wrote and directed one of my top 10 movies of all time um so it really good like it, talent came together to make this one but like yeah. you said it doesn't feel like uh it's up its own ass in any way shape or form like it's not overdoing it and it's not overselling the kind of star power uh it, it's just really well acted and it's played uh, very kind of honestly which is uh, cool yeah for sure um yeah uh i think that covers it i think that covers the the next 10 yeah yeah another 10 in the book okay cool Ooh. So um, we're 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 getting there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, I hope uh, everyone enjoyed that. Um, another another ten of the book. We'll be back hopefully next week to do our next block. And um, you know, until then, uh, let us know what you think of our lists, and let us know. You know, you know. I don't hope you're like it's, it's, you know any anything you liked or whatever yeah yeah yeah. no it's it's we're it's really just like a discussion an open discussion about like any one of these movies you know we're not saying like you you, this is bible like i'm not trying to tell you that fucking if you don't like league on the professional you're scum or anything (laughs) yeah 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 totally cool well yeah thanks again everybody and um hopefully we'll see you again next week yeah we'll see you next week peace